Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, non-gender binary identifying individuals. It is the 26th of January, 2019. The powers that be tried to keep us down this morning. Um, Tommy's Wi-Fi was having intermittent issues, but we've got them worked out now. Uh, you can't keep us down. What you, would you say after I, I said that, Tommy? They tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. It's beautiful. beautiful. I can't take full credit for that. I'll take 25% credit for that saying, but uh, I heard that when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was voted in, and so uh, I thought this was an applicable time to rehash, reuse that saying. Extremely applicable. And um, just like we are back and fully functioning, apparently so is the government. Um, we are back. We're back, baby. We ended the longest shutdown in the history of shutdowns. The greatest shutdown, some might say, in the history of shutdowns. It was beautiful. And, uh, beautiful. Um, the reprieve will be temporary, uh, I believe, in my personal opinion. So, yeah, we'll just dive right into it. Thanks for being back with us. Uh, I'm Mike. Tommy's on the other end, and we'll just get right into the government shutdown. Like we said, longest ever at 35 days running. Um, yeah. DiMaggio's got nothing on us. That's American exceptionalism right there. Um, you know, Clinton had the longest one before that, 24 days. Nothing. We beat that by, by a whole Crushed 11 days. It. Crushed it. Huge. Some might say it was a huge shutdown. Um, the best. The best shutdown of all time. The best shutdown. And did the ma go ahead uh, i don't want to conspiracy theory this but did president trump open up the government for super bowl 53 patriots versus rams yes and actually i was going to bring that point up and Shoot, it's funny that, it's funny that no you don't have to be sorry but it's funny that you said that because i was thinking the exact same thing here's here's what i think happened and so first off so yeah the the House and the Senate agreed, um, passed a bill, temporary funding for the government for the next three weeks. Um, if no deal is made by the 15th of February, we'll go back into shutdown. This helps um, all the government employees that were not getting paid during this time. They'll be able to get their back pay. They'll be able to get another paycheck in there. And then after February 15th, if we haven't made a deal, they got to figure it out from there. The, the unfortunate thing is that even though the 800,000 government employees will receive back pay, the 1.2 million government contractors that were also affected by this shutdown will not receive back pay um, at, this, at this time unless something else changes. Um, that includes security guards, people that do space mm. research, market research, hardware and software developers, IT, security. housekeeping, yep, all that stuff, so... Sucks to be those people, and we definitely feel for them. Um, you know, everybody just focuses on the government part of the government shutdown, but there are a lot of different moving pieces that go into that, and those aren't just moving pieces. They're actual human beings with families and lives of their own, and hopefully uh, they'll be all right during this trying time. So, But yeah, back to your Super Bowl theory. Lay it out for us, Tom. Well, the Super Bowl might as well be a national holiday. I'd put it up there with like 4th of July, Christmas, even though it's religious, but might as well be a national holiday. Uh, 
And so if you open up the government and everyone's like off of work, Super Bowl Sunday, everyone's like, oh, this is great. Everyone's having a good time. No big deal. Government's open. Country's running smooth. But then you don't realize, oh, it's going to be shut down in like 12 days, uh, one day after Valentine's Day. So he might also have kept it open for Valentine's Day as well. So all the couples are happy out there. And so I'm just kind of piecing together this little this little chart I have here, and all signs point to some type of collusion with the Super Bowl and Roger Goodell. Definite, definite collusion. And I think the main thing, that the, the straw that kind of broke the camel's back in regards to this shutdown was the fact that they closed LaGuardia. Yes. Big, so big-time airport. Huge airport. New York City. Also um, a terrible airport. But a big airport, nonetheless. <laughs> Both things are true. Yes. Last time I was there, there were birds within the airport <laughs> flying around. It was, it was, there was lots of construction. I don't know what was happening. Yeah. Um, I'm not criticizing the people who actually work at the airport. I'm sure they're fine individuals. But the infrastructure of the airport itself and the design and the narrow hallways makes very, very anxiety-filled trip, coming or going. Definitely, definitely boxed in, definitely confined. Um, it's, it's maybe it's just place. like a little. Maybe they made it so like cramped and narrow to kind of like get you ready for when you go to Manhattan. Just like, all right, well, <laughs> if you can handle this, then just get ready for Forty Second Street or whatever. I don't know the layout. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very possible, Manhattan. Well, it it's interesting because I've only been to New York, New York City once in my life, and when I was there. Yeah, it's a little anxiety-inducing. There's so many people, and you're so cramped in there, and everybody's moving very, very fast, and it's it's kind of chaotic, for sure. I do like Bill Burr had a rant one time about how he was like, "There's, I think there's been commercials and like sayings about how New York, there's like 10 million people and 10 million different stories. And he was like, no, there's 10 million people and like three different stories. Everyone's trying to do the same thing. There's just so many gosh dang people. He obviously says it in a more funny, eloquated way, but it's the same, same thing. Same concept. We got yeah, it. Exactly. But yeah. Oh, look at that. <sighs> the alarm phone call telephone again. Yeah. yeah. That's two in a row. Yeah, being starting a nice little streak there. Yeah, little hitting streak. But uh, so yeah, I believe it was for the Super Bowl. Cause just imagine, so they they had to close Laguardia. That was probably the straw that broke the camel's back. Imagine everybody flying into Atlanta for the Super Bowl, and our um air travel being as backed up as it was just earlier this week. Mm-hmm. It'd be insane. Yeah, you know, the, it'd make it non-functioning. People would be outraged. And the Super Bowl, like you said, is our biggest holiday, um, sports-wise, and is a huge travel day, and it'd be mass chaos. Right. And even and if you're not like going to the Super Bowl, people are traveling that weekend. They're like hitting the slopes, or they're like uh, migrating to warmer weather, or they're going to like L.A. to do some partying out here or work out here. It's like. Like you said, travel. People are moving on Super Bowl weekend. Sorry, technical difficulties again. <laughs> I don't know what it's one of those days. One of those days. But you were saying mass travel. I'm I was saying just people are moving on Super Bowl weekend. 
Like, even if you're not going to the game, even if you're not going to Atlanta, you're going to, like, L.A. to do some work out here, a party out here, or you're going to, like, you're going to the mountains to to hit the slopes, or you're going to, like, South Beach to seek warmer weather. People are moving that weekend. Definitely. And it it would have been mass chaos, and you can, you cannot pay people. You can evict them from their apartments because they didn't receive paychecks. You can make them wonder where their next meal is going to come from. But you are not going to take our football from us. No, and that's where America draws the line. Also, when are we going to get to the, a point as a nation of making the Monday after the Super Bowl a national holiday, or at least a half day? Somebody could run on that platform. I think I simply could run that. On that platform, and you'd win. Because how depressing is that Monday? Like, if you're a typical Monday through Friday, how depressing is that Monday after the Super Bowl? After you've had football for like five months straight. You're probably not eating that clean. You're probably enjoying a couple beverages on that Sunday. And then that Monday morning, like, it's the doldrums of winter. Sports are in a lull. Like, what do you have to look forward to? Like, March Madness is a month away. It's a rough Monday. You have to take a mental health day. That's that's <laughs> yes. what it should be considered. A right. mental health day post-Super Bowl. At least, like, a work from home or come in at, like, noon or 10 a.m. Like, just give me something to work with. Like like those days where the schools do late starts, you know, just do the same thing yeah. except nationally. Right. I'm on board. Sign me up. Where can uh where can I vote for you? Uh, I'll be running in a town near you in the near future. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Good. Uh, a town near me. I'd appreciate that. Get yeah. you back up here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in terms of the game itself, would you like to discuss the Patriots-Rams? Uh, maybe a little recap of conference championship weekend, score predictions for the Super Bowl, any prop bets you're looking at, and Gladys Knight's uh, national anthem singing time. I would love to do all that, but I think uh, we'll stay on the government. Oh, we'll just wow. Just get all the government out of the way. And Mikey, then we'll get to sports. Mikey government. Mikey government. This is brolitically correct. Uh, so we do do quite a bit of politics uh, talk. But I just want to go back to how the master deal maker basically caved in and bowed to the will of the Democrats in the House and um, didn't get anything for his wall didn't get anything this the man who wrote the art of the deal was unable to come up with the deal and has basically just delayed basically just just carried and delayed and actually gave he was using the the government shutdown as pressure to try and pressure democrats into doing something to get these government workers paid but but now he's given up all his leverage completely because now these government workers they're going to get their back pay they're going to get paid in these three weeks and so he doesn't he doesn't have any bargaining position he doesn't have any leverage anymore he gave it all up was this a concession by president trump yeah he caved in he does there's a the new york post uh i think it was new york post Uh, don't don't quote me on that but there's a there's a uh cover that they had on there and his big picture of Trump and it just says caveman. <laughs> so, you know, they, they concede there. They see it as him conceding. They see it, it as, uh, as him bowing down and letting the Democrats have their way. Uh, per president Trump quote, this was in no way a concession End quote. Then why'd you do it? 
Then what was it? What was it for? What was the point? How come you did this? Um, if it wasn't a concession. See Super Bowl. You you said you said the government shutdown would go on for months, if not years, if it had to. That you'd be proud to own the government shutdown. What happened? Homeboy lost. He definitely lost. And in you know, Ann Coulter, who has been critical of him in the past, said something to affect that we big. haven't had such a big coward in office since uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. Biggest <laughs> so, wimp. Biggest wimp ever yeah. to serve as president. That's what it was. There it if is. If you get called a wimp, oh, that's a rough one. Because that's not even <laughs> like that's not even like a like a really mean like vulgar term. That's like old school playground. I'm going after. I'm not going after like your personal appearance. I'm going after your character, what you stand for. Yeah, and who would you take in a fight between Ann Coulter and Donald Trump? I think Ann Coulter opens up at minus one thirty-five. <laughs> she's scrappy. Are we I kicking? Like she's Are we allowed to kick? Yeah. Oh, we're no. There's no. This is no. Uh, no holds barred. Okay. So you know, this is eye gouging, um, fish hooking, whatever you want to do. Okay. Kick, kick to the groin. Whatever. We'll do Rogan's uh, basketball court um, with bare knuckles. Yeah, if it's Rogan's basketball court size, all Ann Coulter has to do is like <laughs> run maybe a hundred yards, make it last meters. thirty seconds, and he's gonna be on his hands and knees panting. Yeah. Low stamina, low energy, yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. Anyway, and then so he's you know alluding now that I have a very powerful option and I didn't want to use it right then. So he's he's alluding to the fact that he might declare a national emergency to build this wall, which is oddly reminiscent of um, Senator Palpatine in Star Wars Episode One, when <laughs> no, but. <laughs> It's just like, you know, he's declaring this emergency to enact these powers that normally the president wouldn't have. A lot of people think that's going to be challenged immediately in court and and probably struck down because um, even even the uh, Republican-leaning justices wouldn't want to support something like that uh, because then it could be used against them in the future. If a Democratic president, say, wanted to declare a national emergency over cl- climate change or health care and get emergency funding uh, for Medicare for all or something like that. Will we look back in five years and say that yesterday was like the turning point for the Trump presidency? Or is that not even a possibility at this point, considering all the other crazy things that have happened thus far? Turning point in what way? Perhaps a downfall. Um, I think we've been on that path for a little <laughs> bit, and I think we're going to continue down it. Um, I don't think yesterday was the turning point. I think there's been a just a endless cascade downwards. I, I think there have been smaller steps. There have been bigger steps. Was um, yesterday a bigger or a smaller step? Yesterday was a bigger step. Yeah, because. Because I think, I mean, that that Ann Coulter thing, I saw that on Fox News. That was the website I saw that on. That's his safe you know, space. That is his safe space. And if he's he's now starting to receive more consistent criticism from that, that side. Um, so that that's not good for him. 
you know, he's losing his this, the support and respect of his base because he promised them a wall. He hasn't got that wall. So if if it continues in that direction, um, he's just going to lose more and more support. And eventually people will hope, hopefully, even though it's for the wrong reasons, hopefully stop supporting him. But yeah, another, from one turning point to the other in the Trump campaign, we're just cascading down and um, dropping lower and lower. On Friday, FBI made a little arrest. FBI Uh, had themselves a little day. The FBI that wasn't receiving a paycheck (laughs) uh, went to the home of Roger Stone, political consultant, lobbyist, strategist, most recently for Mr. Trump's campaign, but has also done so for Nixon, Reagan, and Bob Dole. Um, has a Nixon tattoo on his back. Should, that yeah. should be stated. So weird. That should be, if you say Roger Stone, it should immediately be followed by has a Nixon tattoo on his back. Yeah. Very, very strange. Coincidence that Nixon also got impeached? Um, or not impeached, uh, but I guess resigned? Did he resign? Uh, bef- he resigned before he got impeached. Yeah, it was like we can either fire you or you can step down. So <laughs> he's like, was. "Yeah, I'll just okay. I'll just pack up my office real quick." Yeah, so maybe he'll uh, he'll have another one of those to add to his resume. Um, I don't know who's gonna hire him after he gets out of prison, but um, probably someone. He'll land on his feet. the 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 weirdest part of this whole story. Was that Roger Stone is neighbors with Chad Ochocinco? <laughs> wow, that's a surprising friendship. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Chad Ochocinco was getting ready for his morning run, and he tweeted about it. He's like, you know, I was outside and saw the whole thing go down. Crazy. <laughs> it's just Ochocinco out here breaking news. <laughs> breaking news. He's not breaking records that... anymore. He's breaking news. Who else lives on that street? Is this in Florida? <laughs> it, it must be. It's got to it be Florida. Be. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like Jeter owns a house in like eighteen neighborhoods in Florida. Yeah, it's just a very or a couple golfers. I could see a couple golfers being in that neighborhood. Hundred percent. Yeah. Golfers all up and down that. Meeting thing. up at the country club for for breakfast. Yeah. So and so, go ahead. I was just gonna say, in regards to the actual arrest of roger stone did you see the video of seal team fbi raiding his compound like it was a bot in 2010 no i didn't so i mean like you said these guys i guess i think are not getting a paycheck at the moment but they still show up to work with a hard hat and the thermos full of coffee and they went seal team six a bot compound on this guy's house <laughs> is that obviously you always want to be cautious but was that entirely necessary I don't know. It was like um, this scene may- at the end of Christmas Vacation when they come to arrest Clark Griswold. <laughs> Just Maybe they were expecting the, uh, a some fight? Russian operatives to be in there. Ooh, uh, okay. Maybe uh, they were taking out their pent-up frustration and not receiving a couple paychecks. And, Listen, uh, I love it. I mean, I got fired up watching these guys do their thing. It's pretty It's pretty cool to watch. But the, the follow-up to that is, so they place him under arrest they book him and then he posts bail and he's back home on two hundred fifty thousand dollars bail from what i read 
That doesn't make yeah. sense to me. If you use this that, is not a flight risk either. Right. So maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but it seems as if you're going full SEAL Team Six on this guy. You're using all of these resources to place him under arrest, and then you book him, and then he's free an hour later. Isn't that kind of a waste of everybody's time? Yeah, couldn't you have just like asked him politely to turn himself in? Right. And I guess or just knocked on his door and been like, "Hey, Roger, we're taking you in." <laughs> I guess the problem I have also extends my knowledge, but cash bail in itself, why it seems as if it's a little fraudulent that somebody of this high caliber and this many resources can just walk away after being detained whereas your typical like drunken public doesn't have the $1,000 to post bail, so sits in a jail cell for an entire weekend and has no real risk of going anywhere or has a criminal past. Justice is only for the rich, Tommy. I don't know if you, you knew that or not. But I our, just our haven't accepted it yet. System, yeah, it favors and maybe this is, those. <laughs> maybe this cage. is a hornet's nest I don't want to rattle or poke or whatever the saying is. But I was, I don't know, I was just giving this little little think last night and just it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It doesn't make sense, and you're 100% right. I mean, the the richer you are, the easier it is for you to get bail, the easier it is for you to get quality representation. The the more lenient, it seems, judges are going to be on you when giving right. sentencing. It's just insane. insane. I want to look at... So bail itself is just like a collateral, right? So you give them... In yesterday's case, Stone gave them $250,000... And that's basically just saying, I'll show up for my court date and I'll get that money back. Why do we use money as the collateral? Why can't it be some other type of personal possession or some other type of liability? Like if you use like a, this is a weird example, but if you use like a restroom key at like a gas station, sometimes you have to give them your ID. You get the key, you come back, they give you your ID back, you give them the key back, you're on your merry way. Why is it, why is it cash money? Why is that what we determine is the collateral? It's not, that money's not paying for anything. Unless you don't come back. I, I don't have a good answer to that question. Because also... Yeah, I, I don't really understand. Yeah. It, it's somebody else's money and you're already in trouble with the law. So what's another charge on top of that? It's just... If, and if you're going to try to run, you're going to try to run anyway. And that's just this just gives you an avenue to do so. I, I don't get it, honestly. Right. I think I saw somewhere, I want to say it was in Washington, D.C., where they would leave it up to the judge, uh, whether they would, it had nothing to do with money. The judge was the one who made the decision whether the person could uh, be let out without bail, but just let out and expected to return for their court date or not given the chance of bail. And they had like mm -hmm. success with that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe you don't want to give too much subjective power to one person, but it seems like that might be a more credible way than just using somebody's personal finances. I, I think so as well. Or maybe we just put a an ankle bracelet on them with a GPS tag yes, and absolutely. a taser shock delivery <laughs> That process. could also be used. <laughs> but at least you're like able to still go to work and like mm -hmm. be just a caretaker if you have kids. Yeah, just don't leave a 50-mile radius and right. 
if you get 200 feet within an airport, we're going to take you down. Yeah, that seems like a fair compromise. Add that to the list of campaign uh, platforms that you're running on. I got a nice little platform that I'm working with here. We're just building it brick by brick. Building it up. We'll be ready by the time you're 35. (laughs) That's right. It's right around the corner. Right around the corner. But yeah, the bail. I don't understand it. Not a good process. Add a list of things you're going to run on. Sounds good. We'll do. So, uh, he was charged. So, his charges, he received seven charges on one count of obstruction, five counts of false statements, and one count of witness tampering. So, seven total. Um, he said he will not give false testimony against Trump, which is good, but doesn't necessarily say that he won't wink, testify. wink. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Weird. And then, um, so basically a lot of the background to Roger Stone, his uh, main objective in the Trump campaign was to get information on his opposition, which was Hillary Clinton. And there's a lot of evidence that he allegedly had contact with WikiLeaks WikiLeaks and Guccifer 2.0, which turned out to be a couple of Russian intelligence officers that work for the GRU in Russia, which is their main uh, intelligence organization and their largest foreign intelligence slash special ops organization. So, cool, good stuff. No collusion at all. Yeah, solid individuals. Straight shooters. (laughs) (laughs) They're definitely shooters. (laughs) For sure. They shoot straight. (laughs) What's that red dot? (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. There's no collusion. He picks the best people. Um, I'm sure this is only going to vindicate Trump and exonerate him from all ch- all uh, all negative sentiment and uh, any sort of ties to any nefarious Russians. So good stuff. Glad our country's heading in the right direction right now. Um, Have you been keeping tabs on our uh, famous senile former mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, lately? <laughs> I haven't. Oh my gosh, he's he's a real treat to watch in interviews. He just gets like s- tangled up in his own spider webs on like every interview I've seen him in. And it's pretty funny to watch. Yeah, the most recent one I saw was when he uh, was saying that there were Trumps t- or that there were tapes to prove that Trump had nothing to do with anything, and then he's like, "No, there aren't any tapes." <laughs> it's kind of sad like to watch. <laughs> <laughs> he's all over the place man i don't know what's going on with him and apparently trump just just like degrades him and yells at him, him and treats him oh, like yeah. crap yeah. yeah it's abusive to him verbally and emotionally psychologically psychologically very very interesting <laughs> it's uh rudy giuliani i, I just came across just like this a beaten dog maybe yeah uh i just came across this quote i'm a criminal lawyer i am not an ethicist that's that's beautiful. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that's uh that's impressive. Oh man. The moral fiber of that guy, huh? Yikes. Uh but on to another politician from New York, uh possibly with a brighter political future than former New York mayor Rudy Giuliani. Um Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, man. She's 
She said some pretty interesting stuff. Hot hot in the streets. streets. She's she's trending. trending. Oh yeah. (laughs) So I just wanted to talk to her about a little bit or talk about her a little bit. She, if you're not familiar, she is a 29-year-old U.S. representative for the 14th Congressional District. It's in New York State and includes part of the Bronx and Queens. And she is on, I mean, she's making headlines both on the Democratic and the Republican side, um, just making all these news articles about her, about what she's doing, about what she's talking about, about policies that she supports it it's just craziness and and some of the things that she supports she supports a single-payer medicare for all tuition-free public college or trade school um ending private prisons she she wants additional gun control a a move to 100 percent renewable energy and a 70 percent top marginal tax rate um at 10 10 million dollars and that's the one that she's making the biggest headlines on right now uh, your thoughts on AOC, as she's commonly referred to. She's moving the needle, I will say that. And uh, I don't hate it. She's coming in. She's making a name for herself. She's letting her stances be known up front. She's not cowering to anybody. I did see, I believe this is true, she's the only Democrat who voted to keep to against reopening the government, um, which is interesting. Uh, she is not a huge, she doesn't have a whole lot of fans on the Republican side right now. Uh, one former Nixon, uh, person is saying she's promising the same kinds of things as Hitler did. So, I mean, I like it in the sense that we're, I like it and I don't like it. And I think what you said last week was, was interesting. I think you said last week that you fear that we swung so far right with Trump that we might be swinging so far left with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and she might not be the same thing. And I don't mean to make that comparison, but I just want to make sure that we're not trying to overcompensate for where we are in Trump's America right now. But she's saying a lot of interesting things. She's definitely saying some interesting things. And what worries me is that not that she is um, so far to the left as Trump was to the right, but just that she is a artificially constructed candidate like Trump was. Okay. Um, she, it worries me because I feel like just as Trump was singing the siren call to the ears of a certain demographic of Republican voters, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is doing the same thing to the left. And I, I would just... I just want to be cautious because if something sounds too good to be true, it usually is. And because um, she she is so calculated and so – and maybe she's just naturally – that's who she is. Or maybe she has this giant team behind her that's working. But everything that comes up against her, her responses are spot on and almost perfect. And maybe she's just – the magic you know bullet she's what we need in politics to shake everything up she's the she's actually a smart competent you know um well-intentioned person and not a smart competent um malintentioned person uh who is is hiding their true intentions and i just 
it, I, I have no reason to believe that. I've just become so jaded by our political system that that's just where I am with it right now. That's fair. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure she does have a huge, huge backing team that coach her up right and make sure she's well-informed, but I, I don't think we should take away too much of her just natural ability to interact and communicate and think on her feet. Yeah, and she, uh, th- especially the, a couple examples of that, um, the one video that, did you see the video Republicans posted of her dancing? I believe we talked yeah, about it. Yeah, we there. briefly talked about it in the previous podcast. Yeah, and so her response to that was perfect. She just posted another video of her dancing. Um, she knows how to use social media well. In fact, she was asked to teach Democrats how to engage on Twitter mm-hmm. and the importance of digital storytelling, which I found interesting. She has 2.65 million Twitter followers. She has 2 million Instagram followers. She just she knows how to interact with the general populace in the digital age. She knows how to respond to criticisms in a a clear, concise, cogent manner. And, and she's just making all the right moves. It's it's kind of scary and exciting at the same time. Um, the you need her thing, to get a, you need her to get a loss. It's like when Kentucky goes like thirty five and zero in the regular season, but you know they can't keep the streak alive in the postseason. So you like almost want them to lose. Calipari wants yeah, his team to lose to kind a face of. adversity. Kind of, you just want to see that she's n- she's not perfect. She's not synthetic. because because perfect things are rarely ever truly perfect. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited about her in her political career. I'm watching, but I'm cautiously not skeptical. Get... Exactly. Um, as far as the seventy percent top marginal tax rate at ten million dollars, it's it's made me realize that the majority of people don't understand taxes in our country and don't understand how they work or the the history of our our tax rates and where they've been previously. Um, everybody. Th- the way a lot of the media is portraying this is that she is proposing a 70% tax rate on all income. And and it just shows that people don't understand our marginal progressive tax system. Um, If there's a 70% top tax rate, if you're making over $10 million a year, like she's proposing, it's not like you're, you only get to keep 3 million of that. The tax brackets are stepped up. At different levels of income and so you're taxed at that rate for you know the first level then which may be like zero percent or ten percent or whatever then you move to the second levels ten percent third levels twelve percent and just the amount you make within those brackets it, it, are taxed at that tax rate and I think a lot of people don't understand that because one um, you know Republican supporter uh, you know tweeted at her and uh, yeah, I'll buy uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's, you know, tax plan. Once she starts giving away seventy percent of her taxes, and she responds, she's like, "I doubt that I'll ever make over ten million dollars in my career annually. Um, but if I do, I would be more than happy to contribute to our police, our firefighters, our roads, stuff like that." So, just good responses, but it just shows me how people are just commenting on something that they don't really understand. I was reading somewhere that uh, during Dwight D. Eisenhower's presidency, the marginal tax rate had reached 90%, and that was back in the 50s. 
Uh, is that true? And if so, are people aware of that? Because that would be, if my math is correct, 20% higher? They're, they're not aware at all. Um, and it is true. <laughs> and in fact, I just have some, get ready. Um, if you want to tune this out, go ahead. If you need this to fall asleep, go ahead. But we're going to discuss the history of income tax in this country. We're, we're <laughs> solving insomnia, which also plagues <laughs> our nation. Plagues our nation. They don't get quality sleep. No. Nope. Um, in 1913, we passed the 16th Amendment, which permanently legalized the income tax. At that point in time, the highest tax bracket was 6%. In 1918, that was raised to 77% to support World War I. Um, in 1922, dropped to 25%. Stayed around that range until the Great Depression in 1932, when we upped it to 63%. In 44, around the time of World War II, um, we upped it to 94%, actually. And um, Wow. In six. In 64, we dropped it down to 70%, where it stayed until the 80s. In the 80s, it floundered around 50. Um, under Reagan, dropped down to 28. So uh, that was over two decades where it was over 70%? That's correct. And mm-hmm. some might say that those decades had comparatively higher quality of life mm-hmm. for the individuals. Um, it was easier to buy a home. It was, uh, college was much cheaper, uh, might have been, you know, at different times. There, There's different stuff going on, so you can't compare. It's, it's a little different. It's not exactly apples and apples. Um, but to say that this is craziness or madness, we've done it, and we've done it for decades, and it worked pretty darn well. And so for people saying that this would destroy our economy and business would just tank and collapse and people would be unemployed and all that stuff just simply ignorant and they don't know what they're talking about and in fact reddit had uh, an excellent post where uh, there were all these leaders of industry a lot of billionaires and they're talking at this uh, conference called davos and um you know this was posed by the moderator um this question about a 70 percent tax rate and one of the the businessmen was like um, it's never succeeded. Name a country where a seventy percent tax rate has succeeded. <laughs> and one of the other guys uh, on the panel is like uh, the the United States. Um, we actually had a. He's <laughs> like, I'm not it? saying I, I. He's like, I'm not saying I support it or don't support it. I need to look into it more and and you know actually find out how that would work. But we we did it successfully for decades, and at times it was much much higher. And the guy was like, uh. <laughs> I just think he didn't. I mean, people just don't understand. They just, they have a visceral reaction to, no, you're not going to take that much of my money without thinking of all the good it could do within society and that it might actually um, spur more economic growth and stability within our country. But, you know. Do you recall if Aaron Sorkin was the one who went after Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez over this? Um, I do not recall. Okay. But I'm I think he's, I'm reading about him right now criticizing here and i'm pretty sure he's like a pretty liberal hollywood director so for him to go after her regarding this uh seems like not the smartest move on his behalf and an uneducated attack yeah and it does look like that's who it was (laughs) stop stop acting like young people beautiful that there we go that's how you get stronger as a political party 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard when you're saying things like that to not... Um, you're definitely going to get pushback, but you would think that pushback would come from the other side of the aisle. Yeah, and I don't... People are just... They have this famine mentality, and they're just like... They just want to hoard everything for themselves. And anytime you talk about like doing anything for the common good or just trying to make our country better and possibly, you know, sacrificing a little of your own, you know, comfort for to help other people, people just like do not want to do that at all and will dig their heels in and just like gnash their teeth, <laughs> you know, with the idea of doing so. Uh, would so. you like to know Aaron Sorkin's net worth? I would. That'd be fantastic. Uh, that would be eighty million dollars. Oh, okay. That's U.S. All dollars. Right. So I wouldn't want him to go hungry. No, not at all. And it doesn't look like he is going hungry. <laughs> no, he hasn't <laughs> skipped a meal in a couple decades. <laughs> no. No, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go after his personal appearance. That's yeah, below me. That's true. That is. That's ad hominem <laughs> attack, and we try to re- avoid those. Here I'm trying to. Correct podcast. Sometimes it's tough, but I'm trying. So, you know, Ocasio-Cortez has stated um, a couple different things on that. And I just want to read a quote that's along these lines that kind of uh, plays into this whole scenario and this whole situation. So um, I'm just going to pull that up real quick. Okay. And... Reflections on that unequal division of property which occasions the numberless instances of wretchedness which I had observed in this country is to be observed all over Europe. The property of this country is absolutely concerted in a very few hands. I ask myself, what could be the reason that so many should be permitted to beg who are willing to work in a country where there's a very considerable proportion of, uh, of wealth? I am conscious that an unequal division of property is impractical, but the consequences of this enormous inequality producing so much misery to the bulk of mankind, legislators cannot invent too many devices for subdividing property, only taking care to let their subdivisions go hand in hand with the natural affections of the human mind. The descent of property of every kind, therefore, to all the children or to all the brothers and sisters or other relations in equal degree is a politic measure and a practical one. Another means of silently lessening the inequality of property is to exempt all from taxation below a certain point and to tax the higher proportion, or portions of property in geometrical progression as they rise. Whenever there is in any country unemployed poor, it is clear that the laws of property have been so far extended as to violate natural right. So those quotes, they seem pretty radical. They're talking about inequality and not taxing people at all below a certain point and only having the taxes be on the higher higher earners. That's not coming from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It's not coming from Karl Marx. That is coming from Thomas Jefferson. Wow. Big name there. And people try to say it's un-American, it's communist, it's unconstitutional. Um Thomas Jefferson had a little role in drafting some of our ideas about America and, you know, our documents related on how our countries run. He had had a small role to play in that. So if he's all right with it, how can it be un-American? That's my question. 
Uh, if you don't know, then you don't have to listen to them. So that's the answer. Yeah. It, uh, if you don't know who Thomas Jefferson is or what he stands for or his role in creating our nation and what our beliefs, uh, then you just don't have to listen to him. And ignorance is bliss. Yeah, I, I feel like history has revised all our founding fathers to be a um, unquestioningly nationalist, b um, a thousand percent super Christian, and not open to any other expression of religious freedom or freedom from religion, and c one hundred percent laissez-faire free market capitalists do you do you feel that's like a, a fair assessment i feel like we've re we've we have a revisionist history of what our founding fathers believed in yes definitely laissez-faire nice yeah if that's how you pronounce that I'm not it is uh les laissez-faire yeah free market capitalism perfect oh it's french uh, they helped us out in the revolutionary war their Navy so Ocasio-Cortez has echoed those sen- sentiments, saying a system that allows billionaires to exist alongside extreme poverty is immoral. It's not an exact quote, but uh, a summary of what she thinks. And she uh, she has caught some flack, like you said, from the Democratic side of the aisle uh, for her opinions. And she has said, you know, she has responded by saying that people also called MLK divisive in his time, which... It's fitting, considering January 21st, five days ago, yes. was uh, Martin Luther King Day in the United States of America. And so I just wanted to talk about Martin Luther King Jr. for a little bit. Um, anything you have to say about MLK, Tommy, before I begin my tirade? One of the most polarizing figures in American history. Uh, one of the greatest speakers, most important characters we have in our nation. Certainly not a perfect human being. Has Certainly has his fair share of inefficiencies outside of his beliefs and what he did for our country but overall you can't write the story of the United States of America without a chapter from Martin Luther King Jr. Absolutely not. The the face of the civil rights movement in the United States um, not just for African Americans but across the board strive for civil rights. Um, a Baptist minister, he's born in Atlanta you know, uh, practiced a a strategy for political change of nonviolence and civil disobedience, highly influenced by Henry David Thoreau's uh, or Henry David Thoreau's book um, on civil disobedience and Mahatma Gandhi. He actually took a trip to India in 1959. Um, incredible human being in what he was able to accomplish on a political scale, as you said had his own flaws, but like we said on the Brolytically Correct podcast, we try to stay away from ad hominem attacks, um, unless we really hate somebody, and then we'll just throw all our rules out. Sometimes we'll do it, yeah. Yeah. It's justified. Um, But, yeah, every now and then, a little little ad hominems never hurt anybody. Um, But, so, just an incredible figure in what he was able to accomplish, and... um, like you said, a controversial figure, a figure that was targeted by our own government um, and was actually, there were many attempts to suppress him and to uh, 
illegally blackmail him by our own government that a lot of people probably don't know about. Did you know about any of this, Tommy? No, I was familiar with uh, uh, Lyndon B. President Lyndon B. Johnson's and MLK's relationship, which when it first started was a great relationship. And uh, Lyndon B. Johnson's, one of his platforms as a president was the Civil Rights Movement. But I believe towards the end of Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, him and LBJ had become distant. And I believe, I'm going to do some more research on this right now, but LBJ thought MLK was a very, very, I don't want to say enemy of the state, but he did think that he was causing more harm than good. Yeah, and and whether or not LBJ held those opinions personally, um, I don't. I don't know for sure, but I do know for sure that another high-ranking government official did hold those opinions, and that was J. Edgar Hoover of the FBI. Um, Mr. Hoover established the counterintelligence program. And I just want to state real quick, this is Nettie Bravo stuff. This isn't conspiracy theories. This is indeed a conspiracy, but there's a clear distinction I want to draw between conspiracy theory and a conspiracy. Um, conspiracy theory... Has not been proven. It, a lot of times, it's given a negative connotation. Those words, um, and is you know painted as somebody who's trying to draw connections where there are not connections, and uh, come to conclusions that aren't based in reality or evidence, but simply on paranoia and suspicions um, and distrust of authority. This is all declassified. You can go to official government websites. And get this information. Um, so just wanted to say that before I went into this a little further. Um, so the counterintelligence program established by J. Edgar Hoover was basically um, a series of covert and at times illegal projects conducted by the U.S. FBI aimed at surveilling, infiltrating, discrediting, and disrupting domestic political organizations. So... That in itself is uh, pretty interesting. Um, you know, uh, doesn't instill a lot of confidence in some of these organizations and entities. But specifically in regard to Martin Luther King, um, they wrote a blackmail letter to Martin Luther King Jr. because he had many... Um, extramarital infidelities. Um, yes. He cheated on his wife widely. That's widely known and widely um, documented. But basically wrote a blackmail letter to him telling him to either stop what he was doing, otherwise these relevations would be, um, or these this information would be revealed to the public, or in also encouraging him to commit suicide. Jeez. And, um, I just found that extremely interesting. Um, and he, he wasn't the only one targeted by this program. There are many other prominent, um, if you want to call them, civil rights leaders, reformers, um, people with political opinions that differed from the United States, targeted by this program. Uh, many of them were, and many of them had negative repercussions in their lives because of it. And like like we said the morality of this um these programs is certainly questionable and the legality is certainly questionable so just another thing i thought i'd throw in there and uh they actually found recently 
and I haven't looked into this much, so uh, we'll say allegedly they found that this program still continues today and has been used um, against leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement as well. So. Yeah, that's one guy you don't want to get on his bad side. Or the one uh, government entity you don't want to get on his bad side. Yeah, definitely. So hopefully this uh, podcast never becomes popular. And um, <laughs> No. <laughs> no. So anyway, just an interesting thing. You can take off your tinfoil hats now. Even though it's not tinfoil hats. It's not tinfoil. Hats, this is declassified it's information. Declassified, legitimate. We know it happened. You don't have to look into and it. Um, it's already there. Yep. Exactly. So So the more I'm reading right now about L- LBJ and Go ahead. Uh yeah, it's the more I'm reading about LBJ and MLK is that we've kind of sanitized if you will the his- the historical relationship between LBJ and MLK what started out as great in the early 1960s and the civil rights act of 1965 uh slowly deteriorated until MLK's death and uh which yeah it's unfortunate obviously but we do like to kind of paint that relationship in a better picture than what it was Especially yeah. Martin Luther King's opposition to the Vietnam War, which Lyndon B. Johnson did not appreciate. Not appreciate at all. And people people kind of just, uh, you know, paint a rosier picture of history than actually occurred. Another thing that was extremely unpopular that Martin Luther King became a great advocate for, um, especially as his political career advanced, as they were making greater strides in civil rights. Um, and I'm just going to sum that up with a couple of quotes here. And um, I'm now convinced that the simplest approach will prove to be the most effective. The solution to poverty is to abolish it directly by, now, by a now widely discussed matter, the guaranteed income. The curse of poverty has no justification in our age. It is socially as cruel and blind as the practice of cannibalism at the dawn of civilization when men ate each other because they had not yet learned to take food from the soil or to consume the abundant animal life around them. The time has come for us to civilize ourselves by the total, direct, and immediate abolition of poverty. So yeah, I mean, he... I mean, basically, Martin Luther King directly advocated for um, basic income. So, it's interesting. Interesting how we have one idea of certain historical figures in our head, and in reality, they were very different. And might have advocated for something that we feel the, these figures that we deem to be the most American figures, and and something you should strive to be like and aspire to be like in our country, like Thomas Jefferson, like Martin Luther King Jr. Um, They hold ideals which we now consider to be un-American, communist, and um, ill-informed, to say the least, even though they they were espoused by people who we um, respect, revere, and have had a great track record as far as um, making positive changes on our country. Are you advocating for the study of history? I am advocating for the study of history. Um, That's a controversial statement right there. <laughs> I'm advocating from the for the study of history. I'm advocating for skepticism 
in what the narrative is currently, um, the paradigms that we've just accepted. You should be skeptical about everything and um, What's draw the your own conclusions based on the evidence. What's the last book our president read? I'm, I, I literally couldn't say if he's read a book. Has he read a book in his time as president? Absolutely not. Has he read a non-fictional would, book in the last decade? That might be yes, but I would I would still lean towards no. Has he read his own book? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Well, no, no, I take that back. If he's read a book, it has been his own book. He's not read a book outside of his own book. Oh. I'd place a bet on that. That's all allegedly. I'm not saying that for a fact, but if there were odds in Vegas, <laughs> you know where I'd be. I don't mean to bring this back to him, but I I do. I have a long-standing gripe with as a history major. I I feel like we don't study it a lot in this country, and it's kind of people don't see the significance and the importance of it. But I will always be an advocate for studying history. You're just it. You're looking at mistakes people have made in the past. So you don't have to make them again. Isn't that like a pretty easy cheat sheet you have to go through your life? Like if you were a military commander, wouldn't you want to read about strategies that have worked in the past so you don't die or your men don't die or women don't die? It, isn't that like all written for you? Like we've been around. We haven't been around forever, but we've been around long enough to make a lot of mistakes and record those mistakes. So why not just peek into those documents that are clear as day and easy to find? Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> Sounds like a lot time. of work. Netflix Sounds has got like a, a lot, lot of, of good work. documentaries out there. You seen that fire documentary here? It's great. <laughs> it is great, and I have seen it. <laughs> yeah. Both those things. It just yeah. seems like it's so easy. It's right in front of you. Like You can't figure out all of life's problems by reading a book, but you can figure out a lot of things not to do and a lot of things you should want to do. Absolutely. Like, don't go to a first-time music festival in the Bahamas. Don't <laughs> listen to a celebrity socialite who is getting paid money to tell you to do something because they might not have your best interest in mind. Yeah, they might be receiving significant financial compensation in order to promote the thing that they're promoting. Just like our politicians. Whoa. What's the difference? What a correlation. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. But yeah, so... That's all I'll say on Martin Luther King uh, Jr. He's a a man who, you know, truly lived his life in a way that the world was better for him having lived it. So, Did you know that the parts or like the last half of the I Have a Dream speech was all improvised? I did know that. I pretty, pretty impressive. No, I... Not actively. I might have passively known that somewhere in my mind, but sounds like you didn't know it. He's a great speaker. Fantastic speaker. It's pretty impressive. I, I mean, I was just reading over some of his speeches earlier. Um, the, his last speech that he gave in Memphis in support of the garbage workers strike there, um, which was also surprisingly pro-union, pro-livable wages, pro-high taxes on the very rich, um, pro-unification of the poor everywhere. 
And um, just interesting, very interesting that um, even Mike Pence speaks very highly of Martin Luther King Jr., even though almost all of his political beliefs run and political actions run in direct opposition. Do you think Mike Pence actually likes MLK or just saying that to save face? Speculation tells me he's saying that just to to get uh, social brownie points. Mm. Like, yeah, I have a black friend. I don't know him, but I have a black friend. His name's exactly. MLK. So, like, you know. Oh, no, no, no I'm not racist. I, I believe MLK was a great man. <laughs> oh, okay, you're clear. Oh, r- Keep it moving. Oh, really? So you, uh, you believe in universal basic income? Uh, absolutely you not. Believe, you believe that... Um, that the that the working uh, force of America should be largely unionized. You should believe that Americans should use their dollar because this is something else Mar- Martin Luther King stated in that last speech. He was like, "We need to stop buying Coca Cola. We need to stop buying Wonder Bread. We need to stop s- financially supporting institutions that are consistently using their power and their wealth to oppress workers in this country." And then very shortly after that, he was killed. That's a conspiracy theory. Uh, Robert <laughs> Kennedy was killed shortly after as well. Yeah, it's very interesting. Throughout the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King stayed alive, stayed alive, stayed alive. Because in the beginning, he was mostly just um, advocating for the civil rights of African Americans, black people. He wasn't dangerous um, yet. And then once he was kind of making progress in that area, he turned his attention to other stuff. And, you know, started spouting off ideas that were socialist. In fact, the the FBI labeled him uh, a possible secret communist agent. This black man born in Atlanta, Georgia, who was a Baptist <laughs> preach- preacher, had somehow become had a secret communist agent. A direct agent. line to Moscow. A direct line. Hardwire. Very, very interesting how the history of Martin Luther King Jr. played out. And here's another quote from him that I just, I have to read it because I find it very interesting. One day we must ask the question, why are there 40 million poor people in America? And when you begin to ask that question, you're raising questions about the economic system, about a a broader distribution of wealth. When you ask that question, you begin to question the capitalistic economy. And I'm simply saying that more and more, we've got to begin to ask questions about the whole society. That'll put you on a watch list. We're on it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Our paltry um, 100 to 200 downloads for each episode are all fbi cia agents i think there's a couple more zeros in there that you forgot yeah that's it (laughs) yeah a couple more yeah yeah i I think he even knew that he was when his uh i'm not gonna i might not reach the mountain top with you i think he even knew that he was pushing buttons that were gonna have dire consequences and there were people out there that didn't just want him to be quiet they wanted him to no longer exist I'm sure that was made abundantly clear to him. Yes. Um, many times throughout his life. 
and I, in spite of that, he he knew the risk he was taking, right? And he persevered. Still had the courage. What an impressive life. Extremely impressive. Where is he buried? Is he buried back in his hometown? I would assume. Yeah. I would assume somewhere in Atlanta. I don't know. It's a valid question, though. Eh, kind of a random question, but we didn't know if the country yeah. did anything special for him. No, nope, he's yeah. in... Uh, he's at the... Mem- wait, no. Well, his memorial's in D.C., but I don't know if that's where he's buried. Did you know that his uh, family later in life um, believed that James Earl Ray was not his real killer and that they thought there was a larger conspiracy to kill him and won a judgment in civil court and donated that in that judgment? They only accepted like $100 of that judgment and donated charity or something like that. But anyway, $100? Yeah, it was, it was just symbolic. They symbolically had that trial in order to say that hmm. you know they didn't think that James Earl Ray actually killed him and that James Earl Ray said he didn't kill him and recanted his um James Earl Ray said he, said he didn't kill him? Yeah, he said he didn't kill him. Oh, huh. I don't know a whole lot about James Earl Ray. I feel like I know a lot more about other famous assassins in American history, but I, I don't know as much about Let James Earl Ray. Let me run you through that real quick, Tommy. Because that... uh. It's interesting here. Hold like on. I know Lee Harvey Oswald. I know um gosh, who's who's Ford Lincoln. So James Earl Ray was born to a poor family on March tenth, nineteen twenty eight in Alton, Illinois. Shout out Alton, Illinois. Um might have been in my conference for high school sports. Um But anyway, he was in the military and he got out of the US Army at the close of World War Two. And he's, he uh, was first Booth. convicted for criminal activity in California and had a bunch of different uh, criminal charges, ended up sp- spending time in prison and escaped from prison by hiding in a transporting bread truck from the prison bakery. That's kind of how um, El Chapo did one of his prison escapes in the laundry, laundry cart. So after that, he escaped from prison and went to Mexico to establish himself as a pornographic film director. No kidding. Uh, yeah. And That's exotic. Once that, didn't, once that didn't work out, came back to the United States, um, harbored a strong prejudice against black people, and um, then kind of started tracking Martin Luther King and assassinated him, allegedly. Hmm. Then he, like, escaped from that, went to England, escaped from prison again, went back to prison, recanted his whole confession, told Dr. King's son, um, you know, Dr. King's son asked him famously, did you kill my father? He said, no, no, I didn't. And Dr. King's son said he believed him. So, hmm. Just interesting. Interesting stuff. That is All an interesting story. But so from um, a statement urging us to learn from the lessons of the past and not repeat them to a moment now in the present where we are repeating the mistakes of the past, um, Governor Jay Inslee of the great state of Washington in which I live has reported a state of emergency. Did you hear about this, Tommy? 
No. You okay up there? Is it the measles outbreak thing that I saw? It is the measles outbreak. Oh, my God. You guys are so ridiculous up there. Get it together. This is the Oregon Trail. What is happening? (laughs) We have a measles outbreak. All those anti-vaxxer psychos. Well, here's the here's the problem. I'm we don't. I'm not sure. I need to do some more research, but I don't think patient zero was necessarily a resident of Washington. I heard something patient about zero, a Trailblazers game. Is this? Yeah, the you patient hear this? zero went to a Trailblazers. Oh my game. gosh! Got how appropriate. Ex- exposed a number of other people, <laughs> and that led to the current outbreak, which is in Oregon, but is also spread to Clark County. Washington, which is right across the river. I mean, literally. Yeah, that's right on the border, south. Right on the border. If you don't know geography in this area, this neck of the woods, which I wouldn't expect you, you should don't live here. <laughs> yeah. Um, Portland is right on the border of Oregon and Washington, and literally the only thing that separates Portland, Oregon, from Vancouver, Washington, not Vancouver, Canada, is is a bridge. So they're right next door to each other. You guys one need of to those clean it up up there. One of those individuals who attended the basketball game was from King County and came back up here. So we have that going for us. Too. King County is where Seattle is located. And <sighs> I I don't I I I don't wish this on anybody, but like I don't know who to blame other than yourself at that point if you get measles. Yeah, um I mean the so what the it, m- the man who so y- even though you have the m- measles vaccine, you can still contract measles. Okay. Um, it'll just not be the full strength measles. Huh. So what is the st- when you say state of emergency that that triggers a response? It's like, oh, this is crazy. But so if like thirty so people are are affected right now what does the state of emergency do does that just put everybody on high alert around like hospitals and stuff yeah it, it must i have no idea um i should should know i guess but um well yeah, like i don't when know I, what what that entails yeah i mean i'm considering moving back up there but like y- you guys got to figure this out it's not a good <laughs> it's not a good headline for your state come Definitely live not. in the 1800s we have measles. Well, what other state? Don't has you that? worry. It's it's coming to a state near you very soon. Uh, we got our fair share of problems down here. Don't get me wrong, but like measles, I th- I think we got that under control at the moment. Don't get me wrong. We could have an outbreak easily, and it would spread I mean, like a wildfire. No disrespect, no pun intended, but yeah. I mean, the second Eddie Bravo has another kid, um, you have an unvaccinated possible host of measles. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, oh man, or Jenny the, McCarthy. Yeah, that's scary because she's such a proponent and, like, loud advocate speaker for that, which is just so detrimental to all the progress we've made in medicine. It's just ignorant and and stupid and it's selfish. And it ignores the millions of people who have vaccines who have suffered no negative effects whatsoever. So, like, what do they think this grand conspiracy is if the majority of people who receive these vaccines have no negative effects. And and usually the people who are anti-vaxxers have received vaccinations themselves. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. I don't get it. It's selfish. It's ignorant, like you said. It's selfish. It's paranoia. I mean, I, 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 I think we're pretty skeptical on this podcast, so I get that. But, like, 
skeptical has to come with a sense of like education and looking into something. You can't just be like completely ignorant of the situation. It all needs to be evidence based and right. logic and reason based. You can't make these types of decisions based upon feelings or emotions and and you have to be you have to be able to discern legitimate evidence from illegitimate evidence and i feel like that's that's a huge problem and people don't know how to know which source to trust so there's a very large military base in this area that we are talking about and it, we wouldn't uh that would spread very quickly amongst the 40,000 people that work on that base very quickly that would be an emergency super emergency well, shout out to the great state of Washington for just doing the damn thing. <laughs> Measles up, baby. Getting ready to go. That's how you get on the map. Uh, yeah. So, I think that's it for... Uh, no. I've got Maybe. a... I've got, I've got something down in South America we could talk about. Yeah, before we leave here... Let's just briefly touch on this because I'm sure most people have had this ad nauseum. Um, it was an interaction between a gentleman, a child, wearing a MAGA hat Ooh. and yep, a yep. Native American war veteran at the Capitol. Just let me say, I'm disgusted by everyone in this scenario. Um, <laughs> this is really one of those instances where there's where the saying there's your side there's the other person's side and then there's the truth really comes into play um the the liberal media portrayed this incident in one way the conservative media portrayed it in another and really it was like right in between right right in between those two portrayals and neither group um portrayed it accurately or uh, and later a YouTube video was released, which was like an hour long, which gave the whole picture. And I just want to say I'm disappointed across the board as far as uh, journalism goes and the reporting on both sides of the aisle. And it seems, you know, there was some uh, negative actions by all parties involved. Um, I'm not going to assign weight to any of those actions, but... That, that's all I want to say on it. I, I really am over this news topic, but I just had to say some, something about it. May, <clears throat> may I recount this event as I was, what I witnessed and what I understand? Absolutely. Okay, so from what I understand, there was a uh, a high school from Kentucky, Covington, Kentucky, that went to the went to Washington, D.C. to... What were they doing there? Standing outside of the protesting abortion. And the video that was captured was this teenage student, male, white student, wearing a make a make America Great hat again. Make America Great again hat, rather. And a Native American was playing his instrument right in front of him, and this caused some type of uproar. That's what most people saw. Um, 
and that's that was the five second clip that keeps getting replayed on every news outlet. Exactly, and um, initially all the dispersion was cast at the young man wearing the Make America Great Again hat because he was standing directly in front of the Native American man, and you know, in a manner that some people um, took as mocking, some people took as disrespectful, some people took as threatening. Um, but it was literally two people s- just standing in front of each other. Correct. <laughs> in one, you know, beating a drum and singing. Uh, what what wasn't portrayed here was that the students were there first, and they were, um, you know, protesting abortion. There was a third party involved in this, which are black Israelites. A group that I was unaware of before. Hmm. Um, and they believe that they're the true chosen people of God. And it's, you know, they hold positions that are borderline anti-Semitic. Um, if not fully anti-Semitic. I didn't look into it super deeply. But, but they're called Israelites and they're anti-Semitic? That's correct. Because they believe misleading. that they're the true people um, from huh. that area. And hmm. these other people are somewhat imposters. Or, um. So that's interesting. So these these individuals before the Native American group arrived, which was, I believe, and don't quote me on this either, but they were there to demonstrate for something regarding Native American rights. Um, they were there taunting these kids, calling, throwing out uh, explicatives including the N-word towards the white kids, which was interesting. <laughs> Everybody's um, confused at this rally. The F-word used to refer to uh, our homosexual oh. community. And um, just basically riling these kids up and provoking them. Um, then the Native American veteran appeared um, to do their own thing. Uh, I don't think these groups coordinated their... Uh, their protest times or their protest dates. I don't think they really knew either one was going to be there. Um, and this third party um, encouraged sort of conflict between the two. Um, and the Native American gentleman who was outside this group of MAGA kids then proceeded to beat his drum more fervently, sing louder, and march directly into the middle of them. So... You know, whatever. I'm not going to assign values to any of that, but it was not what was portrayed by either news organization. And so it was very interesting. Or either side of the aisle, as far as news goes. Yeah, and like you said, um, I think we're sad and depressed on where we are news-wise and journalism. Like, making this a story out of something that's not a story, or at least portraying it inaccurately to fit your own agenda and frankly it devalues journalists who are doing accurate unbiased work I agree agree entirely so interesting um I mean that that led like the news cycle this entire week yeah and it detracted quite a bit from the fact that the plight of the government shut down and all that. So it was interesting that they focused on that so much and it took away from Roger Stone, um, all that stuff. So 
very interesting what we choose to report on and how we choose to report it. Um, shitty. So, but here at the Berlickly Correct podcast, we'll try to shoot as straight as possible and always we give will. you guys um, all the details, or at least point you in the direction of all the details, so you can draw your own conclusions and you know find out for yourself. Because we don't and have that an agenda. No, and that doesn't help if you're, let's say, like you're against Make America Great Again, and this is the video that you portray be like oh look at this he's mocking the native americans that doesn't help because you're, it's factually inaccurate and that just makes everything else you say and believe in skeptic who would believe you after saying that who would believe you after believing in this fictitious story that you made correct but i think people i think in the current age of social media and um social media and instant news reporting and and um, the politically charged atmosphere that we're in. The first narrative that is shouted the loudest is honestly typically the only one we hear. That's so dangerous. Um, it is dangerous. But th- people don't follow up. People don't look into things. And by the time... Somebody looks into it enough to find out different. There have already been 50 news articles that have smattered the internet, social media, all those things. They've gotten likes. They've moved to the top. And the truth is oftentimes lost in the shuffle. Because also you have to think about these algorithms that are on search engines, that are on social media. They promote the most popular stuff. And how do you get most popular? You get first. And you make a dramatic claim regardless of what the truth of the claim is. And that's how you get to the top of the search engines. That's how you get plastered all over social media. That's how you get a bunch of likes and discussion. And, you know, by the time the truth of the matter is found, the train is too far down the tracks. You can't yeah. You can't just turn it around. No, people would not be willing to do that. So, um, repetition of mistakes, We're talking about that, history, um, as you allude to, there's a situation developing in South America, would you like to elaborate on that? We have ourselves a very unique situation in Venezuela, and we got ourselves- It's unique, but not unique. Yeah, we've got ourselves a presidential standoff. Exactly. And some are calling it, slash me, I'm calling it the raucous in Caracas. <laughs> That's beautiful. Am That's I allowed to say that? Don King. You are, I don't, you are allowed I don't, to say that, Don King. Because I'm, I'm not trying to make a, make a joke out of this, because it's certainly not a joke, but it's catchy, and maybe people will pay attention to it if you give it a little, little mnemonic like that. Are you saying... The presidency of Venezuela is a joke. Should be settled in a squared circle. Twelve if green it were, rounds with eight ounce gloves. If I could get legitimate, unbiased scorecard and no Russian and American intervention, and it was just these two gentlemen, then yes, I think so. But my problem is, who would 
who would Maduro be facing? Because this is what I wanted to talk about. So brief background from what I understand in Venezuela is that we've got Nicolas Madero, who is being called a dictator and by all accounts is a dictator, uh, have ran and was elected again as the president, but no one is giving legitimacy to the election itself. Everyone is claiming it's rigged because the people of Venezuela do not like him. He has starved his people and run the country into the ground at every single opportunity. So this other gentleman, Juan Guaido, a 35-year-old opposition leader, announced that he was the president, so essentially a coup. But as far as I know, Guaido was not actually voted into presidency, but he is being called the leader from multiple foreign governments, including our own. And so that's where Venezuela is right now. Maduro is still in the country, and the Russians have sent him uh, support, some military advisors to help him out. And I have no doubt that the United States is helping out the opposition. So we've got a little situation down there. And I'm not sure how this is going to pan out. But if one good thing comes from this is that I'm not sure if you saw this, but Mike Pence made a little video in support of the Venezuelan people. And in this video, he speaks Spanish. And it's worth a visit to listen to him speak Spanish. (laughs) No, I heard it. Because it's terrible. Yeah, not a not a smart decision there to go with the Spanish. Pull no. the Spanish on this one. Um, because they're only going to catch one or two words. Because um, you only said in like a handful of words. And then some of them you said in a way that is not going to be recognizable to Spanish speakers. Um, the rest is going to be in all English, so they're going to need a translator anyway. Right. So might as well forego the Spanish the and not slaughter that beautiful <laughs> romantic language. Muchas gracias uh, and vaya con Dios. Uh, he, just, he might have well, he might as well have said fajitas. You just ruined <laughs> every relation we ever had with Venezuela, no matter how poor it may be. Tortillas. Oh um, my gosh! Yeah, it's just disgusting. But so, let me get this straight, Tommy. You are saying that the United States is it's fighting support- a proxy war versus uh, uh, Russia uh, uh, and Venezuela. Uh, 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 you're saying. <laughs> Sorry. You're saying that w- that we're supporting an opposition leader against a dictator. So you we're supporting a military coup to overthrow a South American dictator. Yes. I don't I've, believe we've ever I believe no. that's a novel experience. So for don't us. look I don't at history. Think we've ever we, done that before. <laughs> we're about 0 and 12 in our history of doing that in South America. So don't don't look into that part. Just look at how bad Maduro is. He's terrible. <laughs> And like Owen four in the Middle East. <laughs> uh it's that's it's a streak. It's a streak. We're all about streaks in this country. You've got a streak of two phone calls interrupting the podcast. We've got a government yep. streak that just came to a conclusion, and we got a South American streak that maybe one for the ages. We have a streak of overthrowing regimes and replacing them with regimes. With even worse regimes. With even re- worse regimes. <laughs> if it if it's already broke, break how it can, harder. How can yeah? <laughs> That's what we do. C regime, smash regime. <laughs> it's already broken, so we might as well break it completely. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> if you're gonna yeah it's like if you break a bone you don't want to like f- like fracture it in like a bunch of splinters you want that thing to be a clean break like clean poking out. break right shout out my so, right alecranon very <laughs> very interesting um it's interesting because i'm not even sure he said he would because basically what he said is he would be willing to lead a caretaker government um, and I don't know what which came first, the United States statement saying we support him as the legitimate leader of Venezuela or him saying, yeah, I'd, I'd you know, if we had a different government, I'd take the reins until we had an election. Um, I don't know if he I'd have to look it up and you can look it up as the people, you know, uh, I'm not going to do all the please do your research you on this. Yeah. Um, but did did we force him into that position by saying hey oh uh, yeah this dude's the real president what's he gonna say no no no, no. i never i never said that that's um, my problem know. with the whole situation is like all right good uh, at face value you're like okay well maduro's terrible so anybody else would be better but like do we actually know that guido the 35 year old is better maybe we should actually have a legitimate election or maybe do some research on this dude not saying he isn't a good person I just don't, I mean, the Venezuelan people didn't vote him into power as far as I know. So, like, maybe we should do some more vetting here before we go down the worst path. It's a battle of two illegitimate leaders, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) What's better than, what's better than one? Two. It's it's like a fight for the UFC interim title. The real champ's out there somewhere. It it may be one of these guys, but we we don't know because we haven't had that title fight, that unification fight. We only have this interim belt. All I'm saying is UFC, ESPN Plus, you want numbers to go through the roof, you have a Rockus in Caracas next weekend. Rockus in Caracas, baby. And we can have the Venezuelan vixen, Juliana Pena, also. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the story writes itself. Uh, you don't have to do anything. That's like having UFC uh, 209 in Stockton, which they missed out on, but that would have been fucking brilliant. That's a travesty. I, how they didn't have <laughs> that fight in Scotland. The Diaz brothers UT on that. 209, right. both Diaz brothers. Oh. It was uh, <sighs> It was like Rogan 9-11 having Alex Jones on. Like that was that was a good move. Absolutely. That's just branding. That's just marketing. We missed a huge opportunity. Just so. having your head on a swivel. But um but, so um, I'm Though we're making light of this, this is actually a rather um, tragic situation it's a, where yeah. the Venezuelan people are the only ones who are facing the real consequences. So um, hopefully for their sake, this situation gets resolved and it gets resolved in a positive way. Right. I'm glad you reiterated that because um, I'm not – I did make a joke, mnemonic, but obviously terrible situation. And they – from what I've read, the people in the country have starved, and they call it the Madero diet, uh, which he has laughed at uh, mockingly for the his own countrymen and women who are not eating sufficiently under his regime. Yeah, so I'm Terrible curious, thing, but but we do use comedy to to lighten the mood here. Situations and digest no question. Them. It, it, it helps us so. see North Korea. You know, if you don't like uh, that, then I guess we are not the podcast for you, which is just fine with us. So, you know, so Ronda I'm Rousey is part Venezuelan. I was looking at prominent Venezuelans, and um, no, didn't know that. But um, she does look Ronda like Rousey. a mix of a lot of things. Yeah, 
Shout out to Gregor Blanco, uh, formerly of the San Francisco Giants. Miguel Cabrera. We don't we don't say that name on this podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, we don't. No, we don't. Why is that, Tommy? <laughs> we don't speak their name. The San Francisco Giants or Gregor Blanco specifically. You've said it twice now, so that'll be <laughs> some extra editing on your end part of the deal. <laughs> well, actually, it won't because Mikey Boys is a Giants fan. <laughs> I mean, you're just I losing that life. In this decade, that's just in a waste this of decade, time. we've won the most World Series out of any other team. What in this two decade? Uh, no, three. Well, we've won more overall. So, boom. Mm. Yeah. Anyways, I'm curious to see how the United States and our current administration handles this situation. We've got our own government to worry about. I'm not sure we're going to be. We do, but that's never stopped us in the past from intervening in other people's that's business. True. That's true. Uh, am I going to see an M1 Abrams tank in Venezuela? Marching I down like the we'll avenue. Very, I, I don't know. I'm not extremely familiar with the Venezuelan topography, but uh, <laughs> if if the picture that I have in my head is what I think it is, jungle. Uh, Lush, yeah. jungle, yeah, rainforest, green, green. Um, yeah, probably not the best place for an M1. No, wouldn't be able to support the weight. Yeah, probably a lot of mud it could get stuck in. So. No, yeah, I could see a lot of a lot of small unit tactics going down there. Not a lot of maneuverability. Some chopper drop-ins. Yes, yes, stealth, stealth choppers. Yeah, so I think that's. It on the political side of the spectrum. If you're ready and willing to switch over to sports, always. Yeah, unless you saw White Right. We could do that. I regret to inform the public that I still have not acquired a Netflix documentary. Once we monetize no this podcast, be first no on my to-do list. And, ooh, let's uh, Netflix raised their prices recently. Saw that two dollars a month. Up in arms about it. They're like, "Oh, I'm canceling my subscription." Are no you? one's ca- no one's canceling it. Nobody. Can you cancel a subscription that is actually your parents? Can you <laughs> cancel a subscription that um, you are using that is actually a friend of a friend's? Right. No. Does anyone actually own a Netflix subscription? <laughs> who are That's the people who question. actually own one? Have you ever Did met you? somebody who like went through the process of putting in their personal information? No. If you if you are actually a human that pays for a Netflix subscription, we'd like You're to hear from you. The right. Correct podcast. It's the same people yeah. that uh oh, fuck, never mind. Anyway. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so the homework for both Tommy and the viewers at home. Um I'm going to get him access to this documentary. Well, did you want to talk about Legal- the, So the White Riot, I haven't seen. Did you want to talk about Fire? Have you seen that? No, but I'm familiar you know with it. the gist of it enough. I'm oh, we'll talk familiar about fire. With, Yeah, let's talk about fire. I'm familiar with it, and I know the famous oral sex scene because that's been everywhere. Yeah, all over the place. The, Very the sexual favors, the quid pro quo. Absolutely. So uh, you tell me what you know, and then I'll add to that. From what I know, the fire festival was supposed to be a amazing uh, electric music festival. Is that what they're called? Down in the Bahamas. And it was endorsed by multiple big-time celebrities telling you to come down. It's going to be a a once-in-a-lifetime party. And it was 
a complete utter disaster like a fema situation no food no water no sleeping area and now netflix made a documentary about that and who is responsible and how and where it went all wrong yeah and it was fire festival was initially the the idea of billy mcfarland um not not originally his idea uh, apparently one of the other employees had suggested it and he just kind of ran with that idea but um billy mcfarland was a, a he was described as a serial entrepreneur which i don't know if that's a positive it's a um, ubiquitous title yeah so he had made his name uh creating an exclusive credit card company for rich socialites and then promising uh, exclusive access to certain events um, with membership in this credit card company. And then from there, he created an app with which, through which you could book celebrities for private events, um, charities, fundraisers, um, super spoiled uh, billionaire child, sweet 16s, that sort of private booking audience, um, Dana White's birthday, um, th- things like that. And... Uh, to just to streamline the process, make it easier, and to get into contact with these celebrities and get them booked for your private events. For, in order to gain notoriety and popularity for this app, he his company came up with the idea of the Fire Festival. They would throw a a gi- gigantic music festival on the scale of Coachella on a private Bahamanian island, uh, famously previously owned by Pablo Escobar. And in order to promote this event, Billy McFarland got contact with some of the biggest influencers, a term that is used throughout the documentary, on social media, particularly Instagram, and got them all to um, promote this. They shot a promo video using Emily Ratatouille. No, I'm just kidding. It's Ratatouille. Kowski. Emily Ratajkowski. Um, anyway, I don't know how to pronounce it. The J yeah. is silent. Um, I've done my research. Bella Hadid, a number of other prominent super supermodels, um, and then famous celebrities such as Kylie Jenner, not Kendall, um, and a number of others, artists, models, everyone, just promoting this thing. And the most fascinating, the most fascinating, uh, excuse me, the most fascinating part of this documentary. Is Billy McFarland's charisma and his almost hypnotic ability to get these these leaders of industry, the entertainment industry, these prominent investors to all completely, totally, and utterly believe in him and do his bidding. It was extremely impressive. I mean, he would make a fantastic cult leader and probably should have went in that direction instead of the music promoting business, which is also another form of cult leading. If no you think question. About it. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, Definitely just look at that. The Ariana Grande's fans, Miley Cyrus, the Be- the Beliebers. It, it's a cult. Mm-hmm. It's a cult of personality, just like any no other question. cult. And he would have done great in that capacity as well, but decided to go a different route with it. Um, and just this grandiose idea the logistics were just not there the island that he was planning this event on was way too small 
the resources to be able to feed, house, and provide um, proper uh, sewage waste disposal for all these people, not there. The, the buildings to be able to protect people from the environment after the concert was over at night, simply not there. And it all collapsed in a magnificent, catastrophic manner at the end, um, leaving many people stranded on an island in the middle of the Bahamas without food or water and without um, the ability to return back to where they came from. Incredible. And just... Just... I mean, just watching the, the documentary, you can't believe the lengths that he will get people to go to just through his his confidence, his personality, and his unyielding ability to ignore the facts of the situation at hand and remain optimistic. Does any part of you regret not going to Fire Festival? Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, that that's the story and experience of a lifetime. It would have been right? terrible. Like you wouldn't have died per se. Yeah, and sometimes those terrible experiences are the best experiences. I I mean you had there was booze on the island, right? There was booze on the island. So you could still um, just uh, drink your face off while like the American Red Cross was helping you out. You could. You could. So And just knowing you have the story of a lifetime, like anytime you're gathered around friends. Class action lawsuit afterwards. Oh, no yeah. question. You just are everyone's gonna ask you about that and like all you had to do is drink on a beach, but everyone's gonna want to know about it. Everyone. But it's just very interesting how this all worked out. Um so incredible. They, so they Billy McFarland's in prison, is that what I read? Correct. He's in prison for fraud. Um like wire transfer fraud um is he the only one who's he, he, held accountable for this he's the main individual i don't know if ja rule or any of the other people are um being held responsible for this ja rule is the main promoter of this um he got he somehow agreed or got people to agree to give him 26 million dollars can not I have twenty six million dollars? Not based off track record, but just based off charisma, confidence, and I don't know what else. But it, just to twenty six million dollars. But then another thing that he he did, he got one of, uh, and I forget this gentleman's name, and I apologize for that, or maybe I don't because he, I don't know how widely he wants the story known. Um, obviously, pretty widely, he spoke about it on a documentary, but um. At one point, they were unable to get the water that they got for the festival out of customs. So McFarland turns to his basically mentor, who has done a lot of large events for um, ver various organizations. He's extremely successful at doing so. Um, he turned to him and said, he goes, you are our gay leader. I need you to go down to customs and suck this man's dick to get us our water. Was this guy actually gay? Said, Yes, he was. Oh. Yes. And, and so he said he went into the bathroom, splashed some water in his face, stared in the mirror, gargled some mouthwash, and prepared to do just that. Man. Incredible. What a leader. Incredible. What a leader of men. This poor guy's, so, like I said, I didn't see it, but this poor guy's face, the one I'm assuming you're referring to, the, the gay individual, his face is everywhere on the internet right now, which, what 
I think is very unfortunate considering the circumstances in which his face is plastered all over the internet. Is it, though? I don't know. It, I can't speak for the, the gentleman I'll itself. Spin it. I'll spin it. <laughs> I'll spin it. Only he can answer I'm, that. I'm, gonna, I'm a marketing genius. I will sell this man to you, and I will have him working for you. Because what I'm saying is this man is so committed to getting the job done and making things successful. Wait, did he actually follow? To to, did he actually do it? No, he didn't. Because he didn't I mean, have then. to. He didn't have to. But he was ready to. <laughs> That's the kind of person I want working for. Well, me. I appreciate your optimism regarding this in this manner because I think mine's uh, slightly darker. But I, I, I like that you're looking at it from a positive perspective, and I hope this gentleman is as well. I hope so, too. Uh, he didn't sure. actually go above and beyond the call of duty, though, so I don't know if I can pin the Congressional Medal of Honor just quite yet. Yeah, probably not. I mean, we're, Congressional Medal of Honor is a little stretch, but, you know, I'm just saying. Well, for the Electric Music uh, Congressional yeah. Medal of Honor, I'm sure they have <laughs> one. It's just yeah. like in the shape the of EDM like Molly. Medal of Honor. EDM, yeah. it's like a glow it's stick. A single and a, Molly rock. And a Molly, yeah, and a glow stick. Yep. And a pasty. Maybe. Um, yeah. But so just incredible. Fire Festival. Go watch it. Um, so McFarland looks like he's directly related to Seth McFarland. I don't know <laughs> if that's the case, but definitely could be his brother. Can we give a quick shout out to Seth McFarland and how talented he is? Yeah. Extremely talented. Like the, the people know. I, he, do people know that he's more than just a family guy? Oh, I, I believe they do. OK. Cause but go ahead. Dude's super talented. Well, I say this because during the holiday season, like I heard a couple of his. He, I guess he has a Christmas album out, and I was listening to it, and I, I didn't know who it was, and I was like, "Oh, this must just be like one of those old school crooner guys." And then I saw it was Seth MacFarlane. I'm like, "This guy's pretty talented." I didn't know you could sing too like that. Extremely talented. Extremely random. Talented. Random shout out to Seth MacFarlane. Definitely. Never met the guy, but he seems pretty talented overall. He does, but yeah. It's so, just is the Netflix or the Hulu thing. better? There's a Hulu one. I've only seen the Netflix one, so I can't speak to Hulu. Through my extensive research, I have found that there are two documentaries about fire. Wow! So yeah. it looks like it looks like we both got some homework there. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like who owns a Hulu account? <laughs> who own? <laughs> who owns? Who owns these documentaries? Is this money going back into Billy McFarland's Billy pocket? Billy McFarland. Are we getting played here? He has a Wi-Fi connection in his jail cell. Now, that would be a documentary in itself as well, which would also go is, back into his pocket. Is he running a, a fantastic long con? Did he specifically have the Fire Festival become such a devastating um, failure? He is a And then know that he would make even more pro profit off the... The forthcoming documentaries on the back end? serial entrepreneur. Serial. Keyword there. Serial. Yeah, what if he was like, I'll just go to prison for 24 months, but I'm going to make like double my investment. It's not the worst. Yeah, because a popular, a popular movie, you can gross $50 million easy. He's got two of them on two of the most mm. watched platforms in the world. Mm. I'm just mm. saying... Interesting. They have they have Wi-Fi at those blue collar or uh, white collar prisons. Definitely do. Which I don't know where he's locked up, but I would assume it's a white collar prison. 
right. Well, best of luck to all those people who got stranded in the Bahamas, and hopefully they're not completely scarred with PTSD by now. But, you know, hopefully uh, justice is done. Not in this country. For the – in the documentary, how much, if any, blame did they put on the celebrities – who endorsed the event, even though they knew it was going to be a failure, or if they did know it was going to be a failure. Well, see, the celebrities had no idea about the inner workings, and so they thought they were endorsing something legitimate. It did say that people were trying to seek um, restitution from them as well. Um, I don't know how successful that would be, but... Mm. Yeah, people are trying. They're trying to get money out of that. Shall we move to sports? Tommy? Yeah, sorry, I think I lost you for a sec. No biggie. Shall we move over to the world of sports? The wide world of sports. Let's do it. NFL first. I'm assuming we should just probably start with the biggest event that's happened in the last week. Um, It's going to happen the next week is the 2019 Pro Bowl. Oh, yeah, the dodgeball (laughs) tournament. What is happening there? I don't know, man. I turned on ESPN one night and it was like Andrew Luck playing dodgeball. Like what? What happened to sports? What happened to football? It's not the football I used to play. <laughs> and that's how we know Tommy's getting old. Yep. Um. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, are they making money off this? I don't understand what's I going don't know. on. Here. We don't actually have to talk about it. I just that was my funny little if intro to tuned, sports. If you tuned in to NFL Dodgeball, please write <laughs> us an email. Oh my gosh, uh, whose idea was that? No idea, and I don't know why people thought that would be a good idea. Just you know what's funny though? Beyond me. I remember growing up as a kid, and they, when the Pro Bowl was after the Super Bowl, and they'd be in Hawaii. Like some of those skills competitions, at least at the time, I thought were pretty interesting, and I would tune in to watch like the accuracy and like the speed competition. Maybe I was just like a young, innocent, naive kid. But now they're playing dodgeball in Orlando the week before the Super Bowl, and Mitch Trubisky's in the Pro Bowl. I don't get it. Here's the problem I have with all this. You know what the best skill competition is? Football. Football. <laughs> Football's the best skill competition. So why what what are we doing? What's going on? It's ridiculous. It's like watching like Clayton Kershaw play chess in the All Star baseball week. It's a in different searching entity. for Bobby Fisher. That was him, right? Bobby Fisher? Yeah, that in searching for Bobby Fisher. That oh. was Clayton Kershaw, right? Uh yeah. That was Clayton Kershaw. Cool. Uh I had but, yeah. had to think about my chess famous chess players there for a second yeah yeah but uh yeah so nfl pro bowl who knows don't care move on um the super bowl in the super bowl we have the kansas city chiefs no just kidding wow not there did it dirty should be there and the new orleans saints there and the new orleans saints just kidding the Saints probably that that probably hurts the Saints more than the Chiefs. We just lost every I don't listener. Know. We've this is two weeks in a row we've lost Louisiana listeners. Yeah. Last week it was for yeah. True Detective, and this week it's for the Saints. And Tom Segura build the wall. Yeah, and we don't have any Mormon or Louisiana listeners. Shoot, gone. Those demographics are out of here. Gone with the which wind. Is actually reflected in our numbers. But, yep. um, <laughs> so, but um. 
Yeah. What was more egregious, the quote-unquote um, roughing the passer call on Tom Brady or the pass interference call that never was? Both terrible calls, a lot of bad calls in both games for both sides. Uh, the Saints, that's obviously that's a killer. Going to be tough to come back from, and especially like when. I think it was the when that call occurred, which is so awful for them. But at the same time, you had the Los Angeles Rams. You had, was it 13 nothing early in the game? at home in the NFC championship game. Like I you're spotted thirteen points to start the game pretty pretty quick. Like I I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for not being able to maintain that lead. Like obviously you want to play on a level playing field in terms of like the officiating and uh, uh, yes, terrible call. But like you had him up thirteen nothing at home in one of the loudest disruptive arenas where they the opposing team couldn't even call a play. So I I mean you let them off the hook, and you let it come down to officiating, and you never want to leave it to officiating. Yeah, completely off the hook. But at the same time, why isn't, especially the non-pass interference call when it was blatantly obvious pass interference, why aren't we reviewing these things? Well, I have a... I feel like the thing that I heard most this year regarding the NFL was people had a problem with too many penalties, especially like roughing the passer. And so if you just give the coaches the opportunity to challenge every single play, because it wasn't, it wasn't called, so it wasn't a penalty. So you're saying the coaches should be able to challenge just about every single play. That's going to take forever. Or you That's true. But if you constantly have, um, Here's my solution, right? You have, in addition to the referees on the field, you have referees up in a box somewhere. And any play that's deemed questionable, those referees are automatically already reviewing. I'm all for it, but it's just going to take time. And that slows down the pace of the game and disrupts the pace of the game. Agreed, but in it's a not game perfect. where there's 40, 40 million commercial breaks, I'm sure they can figure out a way <laughs> to rearrange their commercial breaks you know maybe do one a little bit earlier one another one a little bit later and get this worked out because i mean while there are controversial calls there aren't that many controversial calls because you know what at, at most you get 10 a game that are controversial and if you have a team that's up there reviewing it as soon as the play's over they start a slow motion right in the booth that's their only job they just look at that screen well, I, make as far as I know, they do already calls. have people up in the up in a booth because those are the people I think that they communicate with when they're doing. And if they're not up in the booth, they might be in New York at the headquarters reviewing calls, especially on like replays. Yeah, but so those people should have the ability to sit overturn calls instead of just like pulling it up for the referees. Um, to review, there should be mm -hmm. a team of referees whose only responsibility is review. That way you don't have to run somebody off the field, put them in that little booth with the hood, and, you know... I love the booth like and the Have hood. them there, playing it back, playing it back. Um, they're just already automatically playing it, and that would cut, you know, significant time off of each review, make it even faster. 
and then people wouldn't complain about these blatantly missed calls. I mean, I'm with you. It, it was a terrible call, and it sucks when an outcome is determined by a poor officiating call. It sucks. Yeah. And in NFL games are already, in some instances, like pushing four hours. So They are long, for sure. An extra 10 minutes? We're talking about an extra 10 minutes of four hours? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, you say that. I don't want to hear it. You say that. You know You know who doesn't want to hear it? You know who doesn't want to hear it? Uh, Vegas. Vegas doesn't want these reviews. Buffalo Wild Wings. B-dubs. They might have a, a role in this. B-dubs wants it extended. They want to extend Rack up that the bill. time of the game. Rack it up. Have another Bud Light Platinum. In the aftermath of this game, it seems as if the state of Louisiana as a whole is going way overboard with their injustice and dislike of this call, or their thought of injustice, rather. It's a response that I would <laughs> I would expect from the state of Louisiana, honestly. I yeah, mean, it, filing a lawsuit against the NFL right. for this loss in the playoffs. And, I mean, um, I guess I respect them for, for making a stand and speaking up for what they believe in. But, like, you can't – maybe you're just trying to prevent it from happening in the future, but, like, you lost. You're not playing in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's a it's a moral battle, Tommy. Yeah. It's uh, the principle. I, I get it. I st- yeah. Kind of like uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s son um, having that civil trial uh, to try and show that his father wasn't really killed by James Earl Ray, but a conspiracy uh, put together by the mob and various government organizations. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next game, <laughs> Patriots-Chiefs. <laughs> I mean, that roughing the passer call was terrible. Terrible. Ex- extremely terrible. And but you know what was worse? This game? What? D Ford not knowing how to line up correctly. <laughs> yeah. D Ford, you have to retire. I mean, that's <laughs> that's it's clearly states in the rule book. You can't line up on sides. You got to retire effective immediately. Please clean out your locker. Could you imagine being him waking up the next day? Like you literally. Lo- I mean. It, you know, it was it was a ball don't lie situation because the week prior I had bet on the Colts and D Ford just made Andrew Life's Andrew Luck's life just miserable and batted down every single ball and somehow turned into Reggie White for a day and he was just coming back down to earth the following week so I felt like justice was being served. <laughs> but like that's terrible. Extremely. Yeah, and it's sad because I thought this was going to be the coming out party for Patrick Mahomes if he hasn't already and just like the, the coronation of the the prince that was promised you know I I'm, thought he would uh that drive down there to score that touchdown but then I, I looked at the clock and I was like too much time too much time Tommy magic and that goes back to Mr. Andy Reid and his <laughs> clock management he's the best had to hurry up and get in that end zone, didn't you, Andy? You didn't know how he was going to mess up the time, but you knew he was going to mess up the time, and he delivered right on time. Couldn't he? Is, here's what we need to do. Here's how we do this. We just delegate certain functions of the coaching position to different coaches. Like someone's I mean, in charge of time management? Exactly. Time management That's coordinator. Exactly. 
vice president in charge of time management. That's what we need. Um, just like the Los Angeles Rams have a coach whose the sole job is to keep Sean McVay the from running coach. into the referees. Oh, yeah. Yep. Love those guys. We need somebody to keep Andy Reid from mismanaging the clock. With all that said, I am pretty excited. I volunteer as tribute. Yeah, sure. There's a lot of uh, great meathead get-back coaches in the in the NCAA because they're usually like the strength coaches, and they're just these juice heads mm-hmm. with bad facial hair, and it's a lot of fun to watch them pull back like a Nick Saban. Definitely. Uh, with all that being said, I am very excited for Patriots-Rams Super Bowl 53. I think these are the two best teams at the moment, and I think we're going to get a great matchup. And I like the Patriots minus two. That's a, that's a good call, and it's hard to go against the Patriots, especially in a Super Bowl where. Are you telling me Jared Bill Goff's going to beat Tom Brady? Are you telling me Sean McVay is going to outcoach Bill Belichick? All I'm saying. Well, actually, I don't know because nothing. It was obviously a blatant call. I just don't know what what narrative the NFL is trying to promote. Whose <laughs> whose advantage they're going to put this? Are, are they going to give Tom Brady another Super Bowl, or are they going to try to promote this young, hot team that moved to LA that's quasi reminiscent of the Kurt Warner Rams? Um, I don't know. We'll see. I don't think the NFL roots for the Patriots at all. I completely disagree with that statement. <sighs> really? Yeah. Deflategate? I'm sorry, what happened to Deflategate? Uh, Tom Brady served his suspension and his reputation is forever tarnished. <laughs> oh, is that that's what happened? <laughs> from, from from the way I saw it, the Patriots got a slap on the wrist and business continues as usual. Well, I mean, slap on the wrist is what the page is what the uh, the NFL does. Exactly. <laughs> they don't but, they don't give out severe uh, punishments unless you smoke marijuana. Yeah, that, yes, exactly. That's their hard so, stance right there. Not domestic mm-hmm. violence or anything else. Mm-hmm. It's marijuana. No. Yep. <laughs> smoke a little ganja. Yep. You're out of here. <laughs> You're out of here. But, yeah. Um, you know, nothing really happened to the Patriots because of that. Um, if anything, that was a... That was a classic WWE heel-promoting move. All they did there was turn Tom Brady and the Patriots into the villain. That's an interesting that Everybody take. loves to hate and therefore watches all their games and made them even more popular. It's an interesting take. If they wanted to, they didn't. I'm sure that didn't even need to get out. No, because it, it played no I'm effect sure, on the game itself. In addition to that, I'm sure Bob Kraft could have put the kibosh on that being talked about on ESPN. I think Bob Kraft was pretty opposed to the entire situation. At least that's what he I, said. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree. I like that you're, you're diving deep into this. all wrong here, Tommy. I mean, I guess like 40, I'm just looking on the surface. 40 chess, baby. Yep. <laughs> 40 chess. There. This is classic promoting tactics. Classic promoting tactics. I mean, it's interesting. Look, I haven't thought akin, about akin that. Akin to the Conor McGregor Dolly incident. Uh, yeah, I think McGregor actually did bad things there. I don't think allegedly or actually deflating footballs really has a consequence. 
Yeah, but I think I think McGregor, though he did the bad things, I think he might have done that as a promotional. And it yeah, and it absolutely you know, worked. And it just for went sure. awry, maybe a little bit. Yeah, it went a little, little crazy, but it absolutely worked. I mean, if you have never thrown a dolly at a bus, a moving bus, you might moving bus, you might underestimate the amount of damage that's going to do. I don't know what the strength of those windows are versus a exactly. dolly, especially when it's moving. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know who's behind so maybe, the window. You know, you have a little proper 12 in you, maybe a couple <laughs> white lines, and, you know, a you, you just both. make a mistake. Yep. Well, it kind of worked out in the end for him. Except for the whole losing it to Khabib thing. For the Patriots. Yeah, because of their own excellence. Narratives are promoted within sports. It's just like any other organization that is driven on capitalistic, you know, incentives. Look at look at the Chris Paul trade. Basketball reasons, Tommy. What does that even uh, mean? Chris Paul should have been a Laker. Basketball reasons. Can I mean, do that trade. The no. Patriots and Rams are gonna. I mean, the 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 ratings are gonna be through the roof for sure. It's a great matchup. They are. But it's not like yeah, it's not like matchup. Roger Goodell beat the Chiefs. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick beat the Chiefs, and won. Roughing the passing call. The officials with help well, from the officials. Yeah, D Ford's an idiot. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that flag was thrown before the ball was intercepted. Yeah, I mean Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But I'm excited. Yeah. It should be good. Good matchup. Who's your pick? I'm excited to watch it. I, I just have such a distaste for Tom Brady and the Patriots, but um, I I'm gonna go with the Rams. Okay, I'm gonna go with the Rams. Yeah. I think. Uh, what's your distaste with Tom Brady and the Patriots? Just that they win all the time. Oh, okay, uh, it's just boring to me. <laughs> it's not necessarily dislike of anyone. Yeah, it's just it's like watching American Idol, like now. Is it still on? I don't know. But it's like watching anything after the second season of American Idol. So you're admitting American Idol was greatness? No, no, no. No. I'm admitting American Idol was popular. Okay. Um, I'm just saying, like, it's the same thing. You know, I'm not going to keep watching it over and over again. That's what, like, that's where Dexter lost me. That's where House lost me. That's where American Idol lost me. That's where the NFL is losing me. That's where uh, college football is losing me. It's the same thing over and over again. Different variations. Yeah. Oh, agree no. Agree disagree. We have, we have a life-threatening illness that nobody can figure out. Oh, House suggested some crazy thing. Well, he's only been right 765 times before. Why should we believe him this time? <laughs> you know, it's just – it's formulaic. It's – you know, variety is the spice of life, Tommy. Somebody said that once. Yeah, I, I respectfully disagree. But, uh, it, you know, it is whatever you prefer. I think it's subjective. Yeah. It definitely is. Definitely subjective. Because uh, I didn't mind that dominance when I was a, you know, six-year-old rooting for the Chicago Bulls. So. Should have been a Lakers it's fan. Different. Yeah. But. Anyways. So. Moving NFL, on. Tommy's Tommy's picking the Patriots. I'm going to go with the Rams just because I hate the Patriots. Um. <laughs> It's in ATL, so at least the TSA will be open for it, so, or being paid for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So, um, let's just dip back to UFC on ESPN Plus One. Um, great fights, I thought. What do you mm-hmm. think? I uh, love the card. I subscribed to UFC or uh, ESPN Plus for the one week free trial, which I enjoyed. I thought it went well for the the debut of the UFC on ESPN. Uh, pretty wild card filled with uh, controversial, potentially early stoppage, which I didn't think was early, an illegal knee to the face by the worst person on earth, and. I don't know. Fun fight overall, and my boy Cerrone won, just like I predicted, to nobody's just surprise. Just like predicted. Yep. So uh, I had fun enjoying. I had a uh, fun time watching. It was a good night of fights overall last Saturday. Definitely. And so let's start with that fight. Uh, Donald Cerrone, Alexander Hernandez. Hernandez came out pressuring Cerrone, um, and was actually having success early. Which you, some which you predicted and said he would do. Some, Yeah, landed some big shots, um, but Cerrone didn't seem phased by him. Which was interesting. Old dog. Um, Cerrone in the past is shown to have a hit and miss chin. No pun intended. Um, you know, sometimes he will get rocked by smaller punches. And other times he looked uh, to be able to sustain a large amount of damage. Um, but in in addition to that, Don Cerrone dealt with the pressure a lot better. Actually shot for a takedown on Alexander Hernandez and got that takedown, which was extremely impressive. And then um, was able to counter him very, very well. Looked like a rejuvenated um, Don Cerrone with better boxing than we've seen in his past fights. And, man, um, hats off to the old dog uh, going out there and, and showing the young pup what's up. 35 years old, Don Cerrone um, still has it and um, seems, like I said, seems to be reinvigorated, has a new enthusiasm for fighting. Uh, Stated that he wants a title shot, which, um, you know, uh, we haven't, I I haven't seen that level of enthusiasm from Don Cerrone in a while. Uh, For the last couple fights, it seemed like he was just there to collect a paycheck. Also, in his post-fight interview, he called out, Conor McGregor wanted that fight. Thoughts on that fight taking place, and if so, thoughts on what that fight would look like. It, it all indicators point to it taking place. Um, not in addition to them, they're Donald Cerrone calling him out. They had an exchange back and forth on uh, social media, basically saying that uh, Conor Conor uh, tweeted after the fight, letting Donald Cerrone know that with a performance like that, he would be more than happy to fight Donald Cerrone. Um, and then, you know, uh, I believe Cerrone said something to the effect of, you know, you bring the whiskey and I'll bring the Budweiser, you know, we'll have a drink. And so, you know, that's great. The buildup to that fight would be great. And it's a, it's a fun matchup that, um, I would be very excited to watch. And so very excited for that. I think it's a great move for both fighters. It's a step down for Connor, which is kind of what he needs right now, and mm-hmm. a step up for Cerrone, who uh, needs one coming off of a very uh, impressive performance against Alexander Hernandez. Great fight. Couldn't agree more. Um, moving on in the card, uh, Paige Van Zant, Rachel Ostevich. Uh, Rachel Ostevich came out and started looking very good against Van Zant. was hitting takedowns pretty well. Um, and Van Zant just pulled that armbar out, got it out of nowhere, kind of uh, because of the positioning. Uh, Van Zant 
had the armbar almost extended in the position that they were in, uh, Ostovich kind of lost balance, which caused her arm to head down towards the ground and kind of hyperextended it there at the end. Uh, a little gruesome. Hopefully she, her, her arm's all right. But uh, Van Zandt saying she heard a pop. Overcame she's not, the inver- adversity. Not a doctor. Um, <laughs> overcame the adversity. Was able to pull out the win. Uh, good for her. Uh, we'll and I finally got to see Paige Van Sant win a fight, which I was a little skeptical about is. last week. Yep. Wasn't sure if it so. had actually ever happened. Yeah, definitely skeptical. Definitely uh, got to see a win. Uh, she still only has one win over an opponent with winning record. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, and, you know, Rachel Ostovich is now 4-5. and five. Uh, Not a strong record either. Ooh. But... We'll move on to um, just quickly. I'll mention Joseph Benavides had a great fight against Dustin Ortiz. Looked great um, wrestling and striking. Fantastic performance by him. Um, and then Dan or uh, Alan Crowder, the pretty boy. Pretty boy. Um, he showed up. Pretty boy. He fought pretty smart against Greg Hardy. Very um, intelligent game plan. Just was trying to wear. Um, Greg Hardy down at a at a point he was just holding on to that front headlock and just kind of mm-hmm. putting his weight on him and and it showed as Greg Hardy started breathing very heavily. We finally and, uh, saw slow down. Go ahead. I was just gonna say we finally saw Hardy on his back and like facing some actual adversity in the octagon. It seemed like he didn't really know how to respond. Didn't know how to respond, um, which happens a lot of the time when you have somebody who has tremendous knockout power. Uh, they like to focus on that and don't spend as much time developing the other parts of their game. Um, but yeah, a great performance by Crowder. Uh, con- a disputed ending there to the fight where uh, Alan Crowder was on a knee. Um, Greg Hardy launched a legal knee, and that is what stopped the fight, disqualifying Greg Hardy, um, giving him his first official loss, which is more of a technical loss than an actual loss. But he was losing the fight at the point where that knee occurred. Um, so, interesting. Um, we'll see what the UFC does with Greg Hardy from here. Uh, some people are assigning malicious intent to that knee by Greg Hardy. Possibly. Um, I can't say one way or the other. He has only had three fights in the UFC. has been training for a short period of time. So, it's, Do you think he knew that that was re- illegal? I mean, yes, he knew it was illegal, but I don't know if he knew that it was legal when he threw it. He knows that you can't knee somebody on the ground. Did he know that Alan Crowder was in a position where he couldn't be kneed? I don't know that for sure. Um, He was very, very tired. Um, And I don't know if you've experienced this, but when you're extremely fatigued, your attention to detail sort of uh, goes out the window a bit. Certainly, And and it's happened to the best of people. This has even happened in... uh, Poirier Alvarez is an example. Um, Alvarez did uh, that, right? Musasi Wiseman, Weidman. Um, even more experienced fighters have made this mistake. and um, So I could easily see it being a mistake on his part. And given that he um, likes one of his hobbies is beating up women in his spare time, I could easily see this as malicious on his part. Yeah. I, I can't say one way or the other. That's the problem is his track record. Yeah, and, and that's what's going to... That's what's going to color this experience is, you know, 
Um, he has a bad track record, and it's hard to not view him through that lens. That's the nicest way you could put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, moving on to the main event, TJ Dillashaw, Henry Cejudo. Wow. I mean, that was wow. unexpected and impressive by Henry Cejudo. Um, from the first bell, he just came out and was giving Dillashaw pressure that I haven't seen him put on any other fighter um, in his fights and pressure that I haven't seen put on TJ Dillashaw in any of his fights, really, um, except for maybe Cody Garbrandt slightly. But this Henry Cejudo was chasing him down and just throwing and throwing and throwing, intelligently, obviously, but um, just from the very first bell pressuring him. TJ was trying to get into a rhythm, trying to slow things down, do things at his own pace, and I think he made an error there of um, trying to slow the fight down without earning Cejudo's cautious respect first. Um, It looked like they were fighting at two different speeds. Cejudo looked like he was sped up. Exactly. Exactly. Looked like he sped up, came out and pressured. Maybe this was something they saw when they were game planning, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just never allowed TJ to get into a rhythm, um, never allowed him to get his timing, and just basically came out and overwhelmed TJ Dillashaw to win the 135 pound title um, to become or, 20, or to 25. defend his 125 pound title against the 135 pound champion. Um, what are very your, impressive by Sahu? What are your thoughts on the stoppage? I'm okay with the stoppage. Yeah. Um, there was actually an in-depth breakdown on Reddit of the stoppage. Um, Dillashaw was not intelligently defending himself, was obviously hurt, and was just taking more punishment. Stop the fight. Yeah, I didn't have any problem with it, and I wasn't surprised that Dillashaw obviously did have a problem with it. Um, just, I guess, the competitive spirit in him and his kind of overall persona. But I wasn't. I didn't see anything that would say that we should keep this fight going. Like, he wasn't putting up any type of resistance or or defending himself in any way. Agreed. So, I'm all right with the stoppage. Um, I would have been all right if they kept it going a little bit longer, but you, you'll hear no complaints from me. Yeah, and, I think uh, on this podcast, we generally are always in the looking out for the safety of the fighters. Obviously, it's a very violent sport, but I think you can still fight and participate in the sport in a smart manner. Exactly. I, I completely agree. So, um, yeah, it was a great card and a good showing for the first ESPN on uh, ESPN Plus card mm-hmm. from the UFC. Uh, moving on to the boxing realm, Manny Pacquiao, 40-year-old, another old dog, getting it done against a young gun, younger gun. I mean, he's not super young. But um, Manny Pacquiao, pretty, pretty dominantly decision over uh, Adrian Broner. Your thoughts on that fight? I thought Manny Pacquiao dominated from round one, and I really didn't see a whole lot that Broner did that caused any type of damage to Pacquiao. It seemed like Pacquiao controlled the fight the entire time, and Broner really didn't put up any type of fight resistance. I'm not sure what his game plan was or wasn't. And then to try to say after the fight that you won uh, and that there were greater powers at B that scored against you not really sure maybe that was the head trauma speaking there but uh impressive victory by Pacquiao and I'm excited to see what he does next extremely impressive and um Jim Gray quoted uh Broner's record to him 
and uh, Jim Gray said, and whatever it was, two and four, two and three, whatever he said in his last couple fights. Um, he said, I may be whatever and whatever in my last couple fights, but I'd be 50-0 against you. And Jim Gray <laughs> goes, yep, but that wouldn't mean very much. And this interview is over. <laughs> I respect that a lot. And and, <laughs> and I saw, I saw uh, somebody, somebody said, uh, you know, you may be fifty and zero against him, you, or, or you may not even let your hands go, and Jim Gray might win a decision. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh man, he's so, just asking for so it. Interesting. Yeah, it's just interesting. Brenner's a, a malevolent character. Uh, definitely. Wow, nice. Not term. a great dude, <laughs> but uh, glad glad Pacquiao won. And uh, Keith Thurman actually fights this weekend. The I saw that PBC, tonight at the Barclays. Current current champion uh, pbc fighter as well um pacquiao recently signed to pbc so i could see um if pacquiao wins him fighting keith thurman next i would i would really enjoy that um keith thurman coming off a shoulder injury i believe he's fighting josecito lopez mm-hmm. not necessarily an easy fight for him coming back from an injury but not the toughest opposition he's faced either so is keith and, thurman uh, post malone <laughs> no question mark have they ever been um, <laughs> i haven't seen him in the same place at the same time that's all i'm that's saying that's what you're asking that's all yeah. i'm saying so also fighting tonight is jaime munguia yeah your boy munguia fading facing uh inui but not the same guy in a way I, in yep. a way not the uh not, the, not little not monster related. um yeah takashi takashi Inu? Inu? no now yeah I get my inner ways mixed. It's mixed a tough up. word to say. Uh, yeah, Naoya uh, Inaway. I believe that's how you pronounce it. I'm sorry for butchering the Japanese language, um, but not the pound for pound great Inaway, who is just wrecking shop at the lower weights. If you're not familiar with him and you're a fan of boxing, you need to make yourself familiar with him because he is just an incredible fighter that just crumples people. Talk about at the fighting lower at a classes. different speed. That guy looks like he's sped up. Different speed and power. You do not see that power very often at the lower weight classes, just on basis of F equals MA. Force equals mass times acceleration. And wow. they may be fast, but but they don't have the mass down at the lower weight classes. But, man, he can get some power behind his shots and just decimates people. Um, but we're not talking about that in a way. Uh, this fight is at 154, super welterweight. Jaime Munguia, uh, a younger Mexican fighter who definitely has the Mexican style. Um, a lot of people see him as the type of fighter that, that people wish Canelo was, uh, the aggressive coming at you, um, just down to sling leather and take some in return. But uh, very, very young, confident fighter. Hopefully he's able to improve his defense a little bit because I see that as a major flaw once he gets up to the higher levels of the sport. But I'm um, just excited to watch him uh, grow and develop as a fighter. Um, you touched on Canelo's growing. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, mine's going to uh, switch subjects, so you can go ahead down this one. Yeah, um, but just to double back on the Pacquiao card, um, was Shakur C- Stevenson, did you see that fight? Uh, was that the Badu Jack one? Oh no no Shakur Stevenson was a while back. Badu Jack was oh, before that. Uh, Sorry, I, I'm I'm getting my sh- fights mixed up. Sh- Shakur Stevenson was on a different card, I think, or maybe it was the same night. But anyway, 
Prospect Chris Stevenson, uh, Olympic gold medalist, I want to say. Olympic boxer, but maybe gold medalist. Um, young prospect, um, also looked incredible. So just if you're looking for a new up-and-coming fighter to follow, uh, definitely look at Shakur Stevenson. The kid's got – he's got skills for sure, and I see a title fight for him somewhere in the near future. Uh, but go ahead on your canal. Oh, um, just regarding – uh, you briefly touched on people wanting Canelo to be that type of Mexican fighter. Is he still not considered to be like a classic Mexican boxer? Definitely not a classic Mexican boxer. Yeah. Um, the last fight actually helped. The trilogy, the second one? Exactly, because that fight was very different than how Canelo usually fights and was more of a Mexican style, and I, I think that gave him added credibility in the mexican community um but no he's not he's still not viewed as the traditional mexican fighter um like a roberto duran like a julio cesar, cesar chavez mm-hmm. jr or senior yeah don't say junior. junior definitely not junior <laughs> you don't want to be a junior in this circumstance no like an oscar de la hoya um no and not traditionally, but the last last two fights, yeah. Fielding and um, Golovkin, may help to change that. Very and actually, there's a big announcement. He's fighting Danny Jacobs in May, um, which is a good fight, a, a s- solid opponent. Um, definitely a step up from Rocky Fielding. So, excited to see that. Is Danny Jacobs the one who went 12 rounds with Triple G? Correct. Yeah, and, that was a good uh, fight. Some people thought he had won that fight. Those people were wrong, but some people thought he won that that's the, he's a tough dude that should be a good fight tough dude um he came back from know, like a serious illness right or some type of setback uh, yeah he lost to lost to triple g but did not lose to cancer that's so, right he's a um, cancer survivor yeah cancer survivor came back um incredible story gave the best performance to, to at the time the best performance to date against Gennady Golovkin. Yeah, he like actually Very made impressive. Gennady look human because going into that fight, Triple G was like, no one wanted to step in the ring with him. He actually won 12 Absolutely. rounds. And um, actually, maybe, you know, it's hard to say how much um, Triple G had faded by the, Danny, or by the Canelo Alvarez fights, and it's hard to say how much um, Canelo had improved. But Danny Jacobs, I could see him giving unique problems to Canelo Alvarez mm-hmm. that uh, Golovkin could not just because of Danny Jacobs' size. Danny Jacobs is a huge middleweight, is 6'1", um, and has fought at super middleweight before, just a, a large, large individual. Yeah. Um, you know, Golovkin... See, you never know who to trust as far as height. It has him listed on Wikipedia as 5'11", on Boxrec as 6'1". Hmm. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, the truth is somewhere in between, but he was taller than um, Gennady Golovkin in the ring. So, what what, is Canelo like 5'9? See, listed. Who knows how tall (laughs) these. That's a a weird thing in sports. Football is definitely inflated. Yeah. But at least you have. fighting. Yeah. At least in football, in the NFL, you have uh, the combine, which gives you a raw Mm -hmm. score. So, you can't lie at the combine Mm -hmm. because that's like a meat market. So, but I, I don't think boxing or fighting has an equivalent to that. Yeah. Here's what I do know in the face off. Um, I was six foot two in high school, just FYI. 
<laughs> I was trying to get recruited. There you go. There you go. Um, here's what I do know. In the face-off between Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez, Golovkin was the taller man. And in the ring, Golovkin was the taller man. Um, in the in the ring between Gennady Golovkin and Danny Jacobs, Danny Jacobs was the taller man. So, so I'm, Danny I'm Jacobs will be sensing sig- a height significantly difference. taller. Yeah. yeah, definitely significant significantly height taller. We'll see. Could give him problems. Yeah. Um, it depends on how much of the Golovkin fights were because of uh, Golovkin's decline versus Canelo's improvement. So. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Cinco de Mayo weekend. Definitely. But yeah, that, uh, that pretty much wraps it up for me. Anything else you want to cover before we get out here, Tommy? Fantastic. Well... It was uh, a pleasure as always, and to everybody who is listening, thank you for that, and uh, we'll keep these coming. So, until.